of street lights even stop lights blinkle bright red and green as the shoppers rush home with their treasures hear the snow crush see the kid brush this is santa's big day and above all this bustle you Silver bell, the corner Santa Claus. Silver bell is busy now because it's Christmas time in the city. Ringling, it fills the winter air. Hear them ring, you hear it everywhere. Soon it will be Christmas day. City sidewalks. And good evening, everybody. It is Wednesday night, December the 20th, year 2017. And it's with a miracle that we're on the air. Hello, Patricia. <laughs> good morning, Walden. Good morning, my dear. You, good morning, everybody. You're so faithful. Oh, I am. Oh. I'm like a puppy. Yeah, you are. We are oh, live. Yeah. I'm going to have a lot of things to talk about just trying to get this on the show. I have to thank yeah. my mom for bailing me out. Here's what happened. I had a reps meeting before the broadcast, so it ran all along, and I was having trouble with the phone. We cleaned it a little bit, and I moved a slider on my phone mixer, and I wasn't getting phone calls. And that was bugging me, and I said, so we'll go back to the Skype thing. When I talked to Patricia, everything was fine five minutes before broadcast. Then I fixed the phone right at midnight. I moved the right slider. Then I wasn't getting any jaws going. Any, I wasn't hearing any sound on my computer. 
So I had my mom come in and look at the jaws. Nothing was doing. I would plug it in different holes. <laughs> and then and then I started to play with the board and she you know, I moved the toggle switch and finally that must have cleaned some of the the dust and so it started to work. And then then we went we rebuilt the computer. Then I tried to get onto Skype and it didn't like my passwords. So I had my <laughs> mom come in and put a new one in. And so that's what happened for the last thirty two minutes of my life. And then I spilled and actually pop bolt on the floor and I've been cleaning up the pop off the floor and we got that done. So that's gonna be sticky. Oh, yeah. oh it's diet diet soda. That's okay. Oh, then no sticky. See no sticky. there is a huge benefit to diet soda. Oh yeah. Hello, my dear. Huge. Hello. <gasps> Hello, Walden. We're here. Honest to goodness, we're here. And Patricia will be and here I've... just for a little mm-hmm. while. But she'll be back tomorrow for her full shift. So relax Friday. Yeah. And then, uh, Saturday. I get days off, but you don't get days off. Oh, no. Oh, no. But Doesn't sound quite fair. But you're delicate. <laughs> I'm delicate, right? My doctor told me one time I was a lot of things, but delicate wasn't one of them. <laughs> poor Larry. Poor Larry oh. out there has been really sick. Uh, oh, so, no. Oh, he got the coughing thing and uh, been mm. sleeping a lot. It got to the point he started to have the shakes this afternoon. It was that. Oh, so, he's got himself the flu. So, so. Oh, gosh. But he said he oh, might gosh. come and join us tomorrow night. But, you know, Larry, mm-hmm. get your sleep. You need to sleep. You need to get rid of the bug. Oh. Yes. Yes, yes. Most important. Yeah. Yeah. Most important. And we are live. We are live. For anyone who wants to talk with us, even though we weren't here on time, we're still here. Mm-hmm. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. We got the last number at that time. <laughs> so, did you have an otherwise okay day? Uh huh. We um. Dad worked on the roof. And I bet he worked on the roof. <laughs> the roof. Roof. <laughs> and then mom, mom been baking cookies a little bit, and then. Uh. And then I was working with the hotel for the Spurvac convention. I had announced on Facebook the mm-hmm. convention. So it's going to be November 1, 2, and 3. Uh, it's going to be at the Crown Plaza in my hometown in Costa Mesa, California next How year. How cool is that? You're not flopping all over the country. That's great. Yeah, pretty nice. Yeah. So, yeah. so we're going to have a meet and greet Thursday night and then all day Friday and Saturday. So mm-hmm. I've been working with the hotel and getting that lined up. And then I've been, uh, you know, I must have expensive habits like put on conventions, so I'm trying to figure out how to raise money for these things. So I <laughs> The street corner works really well. So I've been... Have, I've had been, a cup. <laughs> so I've been spending a lot of time uh, reading grants and throwing out some uh, family foundations and... Mm-hmm. and uh, so we've been going through that. And then I've been in touch today with, uh, if anybody remember the Phil Harris RFA show, uh, I got touching one of the little actresses on the show, Janine Ruth, who is Dr. Janine Ruth. She was the one that played the oldest of the two girls on the Phil Harris mm. RFA. Anyway, she was in the movie It's a Wonderful Life. And so she's going to be our special guest next year. We'll have her... 
on the radio to talk about uh, It's a Wonderful Life and, of course, her days, all those years, still eight, nine years with Phil Harris Hours Bay on radio. That's quite a career yeah. or quite a listing. Mm-hmm. So Big she, resume. She, and what is she doing now? She, she's a doctor in psychology. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. We're in trouble. <laughs> I'll behave. <laughs> so I promise. So she she anyway. So that's one. And then I've been in touch with another author. Her name is Pat Silver. Her her she was married to Jesse Lasky Jr. Of course, his his dad was the first one that came up with the first talking movie, full length movie, The Squall Man, was set to be the mill in 1914. So there's a a lot of wow. family history, so she goes back. She started writing in the 40s, and so she she got a new book out, so we'll talk to her in the future. So I've been working on Q&As, and then I've been uh, just having a good time trying to create havoc for everybody. You know, that's just sort of what I do. You have been busy, busy, busy. Busy, 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 busy. Busy, busy, busy. Yes. Yeah. And I have Rudolph. You ready to if read? I don't read? If I don't read some Rudolph, we're never going to be finished by Saturday. That's true. Whoops. A phone call. Whoops. Sorry, okay. Rudolph. Hold on. <laughs> Hello, dear. You're on with Patricia. Hello. Hello, dear. You're... How are you, Walden? Fine. How are you? Oh, I'm Okay. Is it Twas the Night Before Christmas yet? Yes, it is. You want to you wanna read? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is Barbara from Alabama. Now, what, is, now, what is Steph doing in Alabama tonight? I, I just tucked Puppy into bed. Okay. He's sound asleep, I hope. Mm-hmm. I have to tuck my puppy into bed, Walden. Okay, so the question is... <laughs> yes. What 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 good puppy food to put puppy to sleep? What puts puppy to sleep? Mm-hmm. Oh, his very large crate. Okay. You don't sing to it. Well, no. I just tell him, "Good night, mommy. Loves you. Go sleepy." <laughs> okay. So if you were to sing to puppy, what would it be? Um, something with puppy love in it. Okay, this is your big this is your big audition, Barbara, on national international radio. You can go ahead and sing anything you feel like. Um Um <laughs> Um Well it's gotta be somebody's birthday out there. Sing happy birthday. Oh it oh it was Lexi's birthday. Happy <gasps> That's birthday right. to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Lexi. Happy birthday to you. Very nice. Good and job. you might explain who Lexi is, please? Oh, Lexi is my puppy dog. <laughs> True talk, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. He's so. 10 years old today. So how many puppy dogs have you had in your lifetime? Oh, gosh. Uh, five, I think. Yeah. Well, let's see. Camp and Woogie, and Camp Remington. and Woogie, mm-hmm. yeah, Remington, and, and Sandy, Sandy, and Remington, and Jenny, and, and Lexi, six. That's it, yeah. So 
So when you two were growing up, were they all outdoor dogs? Did 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 mama and dad didn't get any dogs? Inside? Oh no 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 no! Inside always. Well, we we were in New York, and it was very cold outside in the winter time, and I couldn't have a a puppy dog outside in the snow. You could, you, could have, okay. you could have built a dog house for it. No, oh no, it was still too bitter, bitter cold. You, you could have put a heater in it for it, for it. A heater? And what kind of heater goes in a dog house? Leave it to Walden. <laughs> I'm from California. He's getting his engineering degree tonight. He couldn't answer his phone. <laughs> I don't know anything about. I'm from California. What do I know about snow? I mean, well, it, I'll tell you. It's cold. <laughs> when you when you go out and it's it's damp too. When um uh when my husband and I got married, he he lived in Colorado for a while, mm-hmm. and he moved out to. He was in the army, and moved out to um, New York, West Point. We got married at West Point. And he said to me, in his first winter out there, he said, I, I thought Colorado was cold until I came to New York. And I've never felt cold like this. And it's true because it's a damp cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just, we were in the Hudson I, Valley. What, Pat, Patricia? In, in, the, in the Hudson Valley, which means the moisture just came in and hung from the Hudson mm-hmm. River. Yep. I mean, it. You just you go out and you just breathe cold. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm wondering. Thank if, you for making me feel all toasty and everything. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> you know, next, next year, my uncle Jim, my my dad, my mom's brother, uh huh, and his bride are celebrating the sixtieth wedding anniversary. Oh my goodness! And they got married at the Naval Academy. Oh. And. It's interesting. I guess you could you couldn't be married if you were in the Naval Academy. So all the weddings naturally happen the day of graduation. That's right. The same way with West Point. So my question is, I know for them, all they had was 15 minutes for the wedding ceremony. They had it all lined up back to back to back. <laughs> <laughs> so, Under those circumstances, 15 minutes was very generous. <laughs> So, so, would this sound more like 15 minutes, Barbara, or was it longer than that? <laughs> no, it was longer, no. He was already in the Army, uh-huh. and he was just stationed at West Point. And then I, I met him, and then we got married in a little chapel at West Point. In fact, it was called the Old Post Chapel. Oh, how neat. Mm-hmm. Where was I? You were you were setting things up for our reception. <laughs> I know it. I just wondered if you remembered. <laughs> Absolutely, I remember. So what, what, the, res- what, the, rece- nice. what the reception hmm? on West Point, at West Point, or was it off the... Off? No, it was in our home. Ah. Patricia had a beautiful home. It was, it was uh, would you consider it an, uh, a colonial type of... Co- of it, it was in and of itself. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess think it was. It any was a particular pattern. But it was nice. It had a big stone fireplace, and uh-huh. the living room was just so long that uh-huh. you could almost anything in there. Yep. And you know what, Walden? Mm-hmm. She used to have um, Thanksgiving for the for the family, and she would cook two large turkeys and a whole huge meal. 
for the entire family, what, up to, to 20-some-odd people, Patricia? One time, one time we had 30. Was it 30? We, well, I remember it, uh, it always ranged between 20 and 30. 30 was the most mm-hmm. we had. Yeah. That was fun. And um, we would always go out in the kitchen and say, can we help you? What can we do? Get out of my kitchen. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, the thing is me. That's the truth. The thing is me about Patricia. Mm-hmm. She would work all day, then come home and took and have the dinner ready for Thanksgiving. I, that, that, that's true. That's amazing. That's true. I used to do the same thing when I got married. For 30 people? Huh? For 30 people? No, no, not for 30 people. No. No, 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 no. Work all day and come home and cook dinner. So Barbara, you, mm-hmm. you remember the senior Dennis Day? Do I remember what? I'm the, sorry. The senior Dennis Day on the Jack Benny t- TV show? No, I don't remember. Okay. He had 10 kids. And his brother had a, at least five or six. So, the, yet, oh, my tri- trivia question to both of you, what was the average size of their Thanksgiving dinner in the, in the Dennis Day family? With oh, God. With people. I would, I would say, let's see, this is an Irish family we're talking about. That's right. How many siblings did he have? Well, he just had one brother. He had one brother. Okay, well, I'll, I'll roll the dice and say they had 45 for dinner. And this is so. This is probably the time when they all all the kids were married and they had grandkids. So, I'll say 145. <laughs> You're right. 100, they said 150 was a normal Thanksgiving meal. Wow. So, <laughs> who cooked? You no, know, Christmas was a biggie for us because the the entire family um, would get together. My my father's side of the family, he had. Uh, um, there were five brothers. Well, one was in Florida, but um, it was um, all of the brothers mm-hmm. and the families, you know, and, of course, the cousins. And they were just wall-to-wall people and kids running around and playing and having a ball. And I just remember as a little girl <laughs> falling asleep and, you know, being kind of carried out to the car when it was time to go home. Mm-hmm. But we used to have so much fun at our uncle's house, didn't we, Patricia? Yes, we did. What did he have in the living room every single year? It was his tree, and there was a train around the tree. You bet. And every year it got bigger and bigger. Yes, it did. Yes, yeah, it, it did. It was really a nifty setup. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, we, we would just sit and watch the whole thing just go around and around and around. Did, did, your, mom, did your mom have brothers and sisters? Uh, yeah, she had... Um, they were mostly girls in her family. One brother and four sisters. Two brothers, two brothers and three sisters. Oh, two brothers and three sisters. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, would you ever spend any part of the holiday season with that side of the family, or was it always on your dad's side of the family? Mostly my dad's side. Um, I don't ever remember on mom's side doing anything special. No. Nope. They, they were kind of distant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they, they not, lived... Not warm, fuzzy people. They were not warm, fuzzy people. No, no. Um, they lived a couple doors up on our street. Mm-hmm. And, Grandma and um, Grandpa did, yeah. But, but they were... They just didn't celebrate, it seemed. You know, they were, they, they were not they were celebratory they were, people. Sour people. Sour, sour. <laughs> we did have or, a good time or about power. that. You're right. <laughs> I don't, I, you know what? 
seriously, I my mother's mother, I don't think I ever saw her smile. Did did your mom allow both you girls to cook in the kitchen, or was that something you learned later in life? No, she she did the cooking. Cause see, my mm-hmm. mom my mom was not allowed to cook. She she was allowed to dust in the house. Mm-hmm. But she. You know, her mother did all the cooking, and she never really learned how to cook until she got married, you know, to my dad. Nor did I. Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah, same here. Really? Yeah, uh, and my, my, and my mother. Hey, please, hmm? would you, hmm? You're a wonderful Would you? I used to to try to make up for it. Like, when, when my daughter was in her teens, I would say, come on, Maureen, in the kitchen, and I, and, um, I'll teach you how to do this. No. I don't think so. Okay. Okay. Here's a good question for both of you. Okay. Do you two remember your first big meal that you cooked for somebody else? Oh, yeah. Okay, for, for example, okay. My, my mom, I mentioned it, I still, I still get a kick out of it. The, they got married, and so the first dinner she cooked for Dad was banana meatloaf. She thought it sounded pretty good. I, I never heard of that. Nobody else did either. <laughs> <laughs> is it is that serious? Yes, my mom. My mom went. You know, she was a teacher, and so she was teaching high school business, and so she thought, oh, who would know best? The home ec department. So she went and bought the cookbooks at home ec. Oh wow! And she brought home and looked at me through it and said, "But I had meatloaf. That sounded a good first meal." Wow. It never got cooked that, again. That easily could have been the last meal, couldn't it? <laughs> wow. So that was my wow. mom. So you remember, Barbara, your first big meal that you cooked for somebody else? Yeah, it was... I make it... Right now, I make a dynamite lasagna. Mm. And back then, I tried to make a dynamite lasagna, and it didn't work. <laughs> it was a firecracker, eh? But now, I'm, I don't I make a very good lasagna, Patricia? Very good lasagna. Mm-hmm. So, Patricia, what was, your, what was your first meal that you cooked for somebody else? Was it something like lasagna or something else? I'm, I'm thinking we had such a tiny little cottage when we first had a home. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was actually one big room. Mm-hmm. And so it most likely, and I'm, I'm positive, it was a large buffet rather than a sit-down dinner. Uh-huh. Couldn't couldn't have enough room to sit down. So, you know, did the chairs and the uh, have a plate and here's all the great food. So yeah, that would have been it. And it goes okay. Uh, hard to kill a buffet. Okay, so what was? Let me ask you both. You what was your worst disaster cooking? <laughs> My first lasagna. Was it? <laughs> what happened? Was it, it? It didn't. It ran. It ran. It didn't really stick. It was that. Was that part of the problem? It was just dry, and it just didn't taste the way it should yeah. or should have. But now it's, it's I, in fact, I, I had a um, my neighbors uh, over for dinner a few months back, mm-hmm. and I made lasagna. And um, my friend's husband, uh, first bite he had, he says, oh, this is outstanding. So I knew it was good then. <laughs> it was good. It was good. So, well, Patricia, he, how about you? You remember your first big disaster? My first big disaster? Uh-huh. Yeah, it was um, probably... Banana? Maybe a, meatloaf? <laughs> no, it wasn't 
wasn't banana meatloaf. It, I found a recipe. You know, I mean, money was tight. Yeah. And so you look for ways to dress up the lesser expensive meats. And I found a recipe that was called gourmet hamburgers. Now, <laughs> can you imagine gourmet hamburgers? So I followed the directions. I didn't mess around, and I put the seasoning in, and I, whatever. It had, I mean, it had rosemary and thyme and probably some oregano. It had everything. And I took one bite, and I thought, no, if you don't want to eat it either, that's okay. <laughs> it was terrible, just terrible. And I have, to, I have to say, it really wasn't my fault in the sense that I followed the directions. Yeah. I just picked the wrong recipe. Yeah. Mm. So that was it. Okay, kid. Yes. We got we got stuff. We started so late, and we have some callers who probably want to get in. So we'll give them a chance, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Okie doke. All right. All right. Good night. Have a hug. Good night. Now we want Patricia to read Rudolph. Say what? We want you to read Rudolph. Oh, sure, we have to read Rudolph. Okay, poor Rudolph. We left Rudolph off going to bed and hoping that Santa would would be nice to him. And Santa's looking at fog outside, and he's thinking, boy, this is going to be a real problem. So he goes into the reindeer dining room. All the reindeer are sitting down eating their supper, and he says, come, Dasher, come, Dancer, come, Prancer and Vixen, come, Comet, come, Cupid, come, Donner and Blitzen, be quick with your suppers, get hitched in a hurry. You, too, will find fog, a delay, and a worry. And Santa was right, as he usually is. The fog was as thick as a soda's white fizz. Just not getting lost needed all Santa's skill, with street signs and numbers more difficult still. He tangled in treetops again and again and barely missed hitting a tri-motored plane. He still made good speed with much twisting and turning, as long as the street lamps and house lights were burning. At each house, first noting the people who lived there, he'd quickly select the right presents to give there. By midnight, however, the last light had fled, for even big people have then gone to bed. Because it might wake them, a match was denied him. Oh my, how he wished for just one star to guide him. Through dark streets and houses, old Santa fared poorly. He now picked the presents more slowly, less surely. He really was worried. For what could he do? If folks started waking before he was through, the air was still foggy, the night dark and drear, when Santa arrived at the home of the deer, because they were going to get presents too. Alleged that he tripped on while seeking the chimney gave Santa a spill and a painfully skinned knee. The room he came down in was blacker than ink. He went for a chair, and then he found it a sink. The first reindeer bedroom was so very black, he tripped on the rug and fell flat on his back, so dark that he had to move close to the bed and squint very hard at the sleeping deer's head. Before he could choose the right kind of toy, a doll for a girl, a train for a boy. But all this took time and filled Santa with gloom while slowly he groped his way toward the next room. The door he just opened when, to his surprise, a dim but quite definite light met his eyes. 
The lamp wasn't burning. The glow came instead from something that lay at the head of the bed. We'll have to wait to find out what it is. Wow. That's very good, Patricia. Isn't that a good story? Wow. Much more involved than the song. I think this is going to be an annual tradition for us. We're going to have to be Rudolph every year now. It's a very good story. We can do that. Yeah. We can do that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a wonderful story. And it's illustrated. Of course, nobody can see the illustrations, but it's got Santa and Rudolph with his nose and the reindeer sitting at the table eating their dinner. <laughs> it's really a cute book. So, 714-545-2071. Got to get the calls in now. Because Patricia we're going can. home. Yep. <laughs> we're going home. <laughs> I have some Christmas superstitions. Should I give superstitions or other stuff like traditions? Do superstition tonight. Oh, yes. Okay. In order to have good health throughout the year, eat an apple on Christmas Eve. Now, that's a pretty easy one. Mm-hmm. Eat plum pudding on Christmas and avoid losing a friend before next Christmas. I don't know where these superstitions come from. They're from all over the world. So I'm just reading what I what I have. On Christmas Eve, all animals can speak. However, it is bad luck to test this superstition. So how do they know that the animals speak? I don't know. Um, the child born on Christmas Day will have a special fortune. Wearing new shoes on Christmas Day will bring bad luck. I wonder who made that one up. What do you think? And that's a good possibility. Yeah, I don't know. In Ireland, it is believed the gates of heaven open at midnight on Christmas Eve. Those who die go straight to heaven. They do not stop. They do not pass go. They do not collect $200. They go straight to heaven. If you refuse a mince pie at Christmas dinner, you will have bad luck for the coming day, at least it's not for the entire year. And I'll have anybody else's mince meat pie. I really like that. Now, here's something interesting that I refuse to participate in. If you eat a raw egg before anything else on Christmas morning, you will be able to carry heavy weights. What? (laughs) (laughs) Get this icky raw egg and all you can do is carry weights. I don't think so. All right, snow on Christmas means what? Uh, The ground is white. (laughs) That's true. It means Easter will be green. Ah, okay. And I have a surprise for us. Yes. Tomorrow is the winter solstice. Winter officially begins tomorrow, and at the same time, the amount of daylight we have in a day begins to increase. Ah, so summer is going to be here before we know it. I think so. We can celebrate Christmas in July. That's true. Like we do yeah. here. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, let's see. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's no good. No we, good. We, Christmas carol. Hmm? We are live at seven one four five four five two zero seven one Wednesday night, December 20th, year 2017. Just for people who want to know. Back to Patricia. Okay. Charles Dickens' initial choice for screw what became Scrooge's statement, Bah Humbug, was Bah Christmas. 
I believe Dickens actually made up the word humbug that we have carried for all of these decades and decades and more than a century. I guess so that's a, pretty cool. I guess there's a movie hmm? coming out about Charles Dickens. Uh, Dickens really? Or something, yeah. What, what, what? I guess there's a movie coming out in the theaters about Charles Dickens. Why? Don't know. <laughs> Nor would I. Is it a Christmas I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's the sort of history how he wrote the Christmas Carol. It might be. I, I don't know. I think I think I've heard that, but I I don't know much more than that. Hmm, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, in Norway on Christmas Eve. Maybe I should save this for Christmas Eve. I'll read this one and then okay. pour through the stuff and find out which is good for Christmas Day and which is good for Christmas Eve. In Norway on Christmas Eve. Visitors should know that after the family's big dinner and the opening of presents, all the brooms in the house are hidden. The Norwegians long ago believed that witches and mischievous spirits came out on Christmas Eve and would steal their brooms for riding, so they had to hide their brooms. Go figure. (laughs) It's, It's entertaining. What can I tell you? Hide your brooms, okay? okay? All right, now let's see what else I've got here. I've got more stuff. Oh, in Greece, some people burn their old shoes during Christmas season to prevent misfortunes in the coming year. I have no idea what the relationship is there or the corollary. I give up. Let's see, Christmas in countries. Let's see, Christmas sweets. Fruitcake became popular in ancient Rome when soldiers prized the sweet it, you know, it's, it's considered a sweet like a cookie. Mm-hmm. Prize the sweet for its portability and shelf life. So they brought it with them to the battlefields. Fruitcake went to war. Wow. wow. I really like fruitcake. I, I do too. Yeah. We're, you know, the people talk about circulating these fruitcakes because they hate fruitcake as a gift for Christmas. I never got it. Maybe they just got the wrong kind of fruitcake because there are so many different ways to make it. Yeah, I, just, I don't understand. I've always have liked it. I don't understand mm-hmm. why there's such a thumbs down on fruitcake. I, I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it either. Mm-hmm. But if anybody doesn't like fruitcake and you get a whole bunch, you can send it to Walden and me. That's right. I will even give you my address (laughs) to expedite delivery. (laughs) And today is the last day of Hanukkah. You're in the 20th. I'm I'm on to the 21st already, but the 20th was the last day of Hanukkah. And I hope our friends who celebrate Hanukkah or celebrated it this year um, had a really wonderful holiday. Yep. All our Jewish family members out there, we love you all very much. So happy Hanukkah. Hope it's a mm-hmm. good season, and uh, hey, you know, give it a what? call. Give it a call during the holiday season. Love to hear from our Jewish family members too. Well, seven one four five four five two zero seven one. If she hasn't figured this out, our listeners, it's our family because we have a special bond. Oh, gosh. We have such a wonderful family out there, and it grows every day. And David from North Carolina, one night you're going to surprise us and give us a call and say, hey, and it was so nice hearing from you. Thank you for sending an email. That was really good. Okay, let me see what else I have here. Oh, I did a whole bunch of these already. Mm-mm-mm. 
that is Patricia from Florida. If you don't know, she is a wonderful writer, wonderful <laughs> companion, co-host, talented. <laughs> companion. I'm just like a warm puppy. <laughs> Tal- mm-hmm. She's talented and smart and, and, and happy. vivacious and she has a joyous spirit. Brings a lot of joy to people. So that's Patricia. And you can, you can email Thank her you. at floridawriter at hotmail.com. Her email is always open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Sometimes my eyes aren't open 24 <laughs> hours, but the email is open 24 hours, and when the eyes open, then I can answer it. That's right. So she, she's our, she, she is our Saturday night correspondent, so any... any yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can check with me in my... <laughs> I'll pencil in all of the appointments. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. We have so much fun here. Yeah. All right. I have one more thing to check here. Let's see. Anyway, we're doing very well with our podcast. We're almost up to, uh, oh, oh gosh, got to be over 4,300, 4,400 people now. And Australia coming in really big right now. And so if you That's go amazing. to soundcloud.com, type in Walling Shoes and Patricia from Florida, you can see it. All the sorts of stuff. Even one file had a hundred. Within like a matter of 24 hours, I had 187 downloads. That's just amazing. Wow. Wow. Hooray, hooray. So for our Australian friends, on the flip side of our snow, you are experiencing Christmas in the hot weather. You've got your summer down there, and I hope you are enjoying the warm weather. Maybe one day, I don't know about international calls, so how, how, many, how many countries can you call for free? When I say for free, for, yeah. for no extra charge. Well, if if they have Skype, we can do any any anybody around the world for no charge. Wow, maybe someone from Australia mm-hmm. would send me an email With their Skype. and let us know if we can give you a call and have a good conversation from the other side of the earth. Yeah. You send it to floridawriter at hotmail.com. And that goes for our listeners and our friends and silent family members in other countries as well. It would mm-hmm. be great fun to be able to talk to you. Skype would be nice. fun. Yeah. 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 Skype would be pretty nice. Indeed. Now, you can call a landline, obviously, from Skype. So if someone from another country, let's say someone from Australia, sent me an email tonight and said, call me. Can you call their landline yes. so that it's not any kind of an expense for them? It, it, yes, it just be a expense for us, but we have a few we have a few pennies left over from long distance. I uh, I have two dollars and sixty cents in my Skype account, and generally I'd be happy. We the last time I used it, we had a friend of John Lurie who is the number one voiceover comedian. He like he told the rich world of Australia. And, and so we had Keith Scott on. He, uh, he, they bring him over to do Bullwinkle. Uh, oh. Oh yeah. So. Oh. Oh yeah. So anyway, so that's the last time we used that feature, but that's definitely available. So. Um, what kind of charges does Skype impose? I'll use that word impose for international calls. It could be very from one minute, a penny a minute to about four cents a minute to five cents a minute. So it's really not penny, that bad. A penny a minute. Yes, a penny a minute is quite affordable. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's 60 cents for an hour. Yeah, true. 
That's true. So, sure. Oh, yeah. We could call around the world, and I'll even send you some pennies. I have a whole bunch of pennies. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. All, all we need to do is load up Skype, my Skype account, and we'll be good. So I have oh. – I started with $10, and I did several international calls, and I still have mm-hmm. – that's how we call um, Phil, Phil Reed from England. We would call him uh, that way. You, okay. All right. Oh, that is great fun. If super it's great super fun. Good. Yeah. Yeah, super, super, super. Okay, let's see. And this was in 1915. Ford produced its one millionth car. The U.S. population was 100,546,000. And the federal spending was, in 1915, what? $35 Which surprises me for that time. 1915, we weren't in World War II yet. No, we're not. World War I, no. What was our economy like with the rest of the world at at war? Or a lot of countries at war. I think we were okay. You never hear about... Um, 1915 during the economy. I bet if we looked it up, we could probably figure it out. Uh, it, you know, the Roaring Twenties was sure when the whole boom happened for America. Mm-hmm. So and I, then busted. Yeah. Yeah. And in the late 1800s, the latter 1800s, we had a crash. Mm-hmm. So this would have been the probably fully recovered period after the crash. This was as good as it was going to get. Yeah. Sort of, you know, with a give and take. Yeah. When I, when, I, when I took a lot of economic classes, they had charts of booms and busts, and especially once we, um, we, when we were on the gold standards, uh, we had a lot of streams of booms and busts. It seemed like it happened like almost every seven years or so. Mm-hmm. Yes, that cycling, isn't that interesting? That cycling happens. Um, it's, it's just amazing. Ah, so anyway, three quarters of a billion dollars they spent on the, well, that's, yeah, the federal government spent that amount of money. Unemployment was 8.5%, which is a little higher than what we're experiencing now, but at that time, full employment was considered between 7 and 8%. Now so, now they were. Now I think it's down around 4 or something is what they consider. Now, four. yes, yes, indeed. And um, so we're <laughs> really dipping into the... Uh, into the till on this one, having workers come back to work or new ones entering the job market. So that's that's pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. How much was gas in 1915? Oh, seven cents. <gasps> Very close. Eight cents. Good wow. for you. Wow. And what was the first class stamp? Let's take a big wild guess. Three cents. No, it was two cents. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> Oh, I don't know when it went to three cents, but it was three cents forever, just forever. I don't know why I picked 1915. I do not know. Uh, let's see, November 2017. Okay, I've got stuff here. We missed the 6th, which was St. Nicholas Day. Let's see, today is the 20th for me. For you, it's still the 20th. Oh, the 20th is Go Caroling Day. And the 21st is Crossword Puzzle Day, which is really nice because I just started a crossword puzzle about 10 minutes before I came up here. Right. Good. 
Amen. So, it is almost 1.15. I think it's time for you to go to bed. I I am delicate, so I'm going to be leaving. Thank you. And Thank you we will hang- be back tomorrow. Thank you for hanging with me, Patricia. <gasps> oh, you're easy. You're easy to hang in, hang in the bowl with. Thank you, my dear. Yes, this All is right. good. Good night, everybody. Have sweet dreams, and we will be back tomorrow. Good night, Walden. Good night, Patricia. All right, everybody. Let's see what we got for the computer. Windows M. M. Folder M. My music M. My documents. Enter. Document 4C Christmas Enter Shelf Amos E through Thur Aldrich through Thur Conquences Folder Enter through the one item one item number one two two zero one nine four seven Christmas Show dot Okay. Let's see first. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity of being here. Bless this wonderful country we land. Thank you for my mom for helping me get the computer up and running. Thank you for Patricia. Look after the men and women in the armed forces. Uh, bless the families out there. Look after the hungry, needy, and the poor. We are this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, 70 years ago, December 20th, 1947, at the famous broadcast of Truth to Consequences, where uh, they went back to H.C. Smith hometown in Tennessee. So let's go back and enjoy this wonderful broadcast from Truth or Consequences, December 20th, 1947. Unloading job. Okay, and enter. Washing machine, take your clothes out bright and clean. When you does your wash, you'll sing. D-U-Z does everything. Hello there, we've been waiting for you. It's time to play truth. Yes, Truth or Consequences, the show that does everything on the air, brought to you by Does, the soap that does everything in your life. And here he is, the fellow whose show was again voted number one audience participation show in the annual awards made by newspapers and radio editors, columnists and critics conducted by Motion Picture Daily in behalf of Fame Magazine. And next to Bing was voted number two master of ceremonies. No. But with us... He's just that dozy guy, Ralph, truth or consequences, Edward. Well, thank you very much, Ilo Wilcox. And greetings, party players. I certainly want to thank the radio editors and critics for voting truth or consequences number one again. Daddy's proud of his baby. And Harlow, I don't know, I feel so battered and bruised tonight. How come, Ralph? Because you've been practicing for your appearance on the Eddie Cantor show Christmas night? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really bruised. I... 
I does my shirt and does doesn't do everything. Oh, yes, it does, Ralph. No, sir, you have to take your shirt off before you throw it in the washer. Oh, Understand? Oh, Am oh, I bruised? Oh. But I'm happy with all, and I'm clean, too. Well, this is our Christmas party tonight, our Truth of Consequence Christmas party, and uh, I can't wait to get it going. Speaking of Christmas, there are only three more shopping days until Christmas. Not much time left to buy your Christmas seals. You all know that the purchase of Christmas seals is to help the fight against tuberculosis. As a matter of fact, we have about $50 worth of Christmas seals right here with us. I'm going to give these Christmas seals to any lady. I'll give them to any lady in the audience who wants them. Now, she can keep the Christmas seals if she will do one thing. That is to prominently display these Christmas seals all the way home tonight and shout from time to time, I have my Christmas seals. Why don't you buy yours? Now, what lady will do that? Johnny Pollock, turn on the microphone. I'll go right down to the audience. Here are a bunch of them here. Here's a lady here. Uh, I'll interview someone. What is your name, please? Mrs. Martinson, Jr. Where are you from, Jr.? Oakland. Uh, Oakland, California. Oh, and a finer town there isn't. What is your name, please? Mrs. Ray Greenwell, San Diego. Yes, but are you staying up here tonight? Yes, I am. You're going to be in town tonight? Yes, I am. In Los Angeles and Hollywood. What is your name, please? Rose Downing. Yes, well, you'll get up again, Rose. Don't you worry about it. What is your name again, Mrs. Mrs. Ray Greenwell. All right. Now, uh, you, you will take these Christmas seals home and wave them and say, uh, I have my Christmas seals uh, why don't you buy yours? Will you do that? Yes, I will. Well, that's wonderful of you to talk up the sale of Christmas seals. Mrs. Green... Greenwell. Greenwell from San Diego. Now, here are $50 worth of Christmas seals. We uh, want you to shout all the way, I have my Christmas seals, why don't you buy yours? As a matter of fact, uh, they're worth more than $50. The Christmas seals that I want you to take home are these two live seals that are coming on stage now. <laughs> Beautiful. Will you take the seals home with you, Mrs. Green? It's my brother-in-law, <laughs> Oh, you're living with your... No, we're going to stay all night in his house. Where's his brother-in-law here? Brother-in-law, will you let her take him home with him? Well, sure, he says. All right. Uh, how are you going to get home? Well, we ha we're in his car. Oh, that'll be cozy, all right. Well, I'm sure all... The Look at it roll over up here, one of the seals. Uh, they're Mary and Jolly are their names. I'm sure all the people who pass you or meet you will know to buy Christmas seals after they've seen you, Miss Greenwell. Incidentally, if you do this, we'll give you $50 to buy Christmas seals with. And uh, we also... Quiet, Jolly. Mary, be quiet. We also will will have for you this 14-carat, 21-jewel, full of... Uh, Wristwatch. I thought it was going to hurt over that. And Alex Cohen would be too far, Mr. Bullen. All right, Mr. Ballard. The owners will collect the seals in the morning. I hope they're happy in your bathtub tonight. Right. Thank you very much, and good night. <laughs> good luck. Oh, here's a big red box that does, too. Try does for your dishes. You'll find does does everything in the dish pan, too. All right, now we get going along here. Be sure, folks, to listen for the walking man. Who's the walking man? He's coming this way with a new gigantic prize contest. More later about that. Right now, we've got Christmas spirit in a box. Believe it or not, back in New York, right now there's a great big box, and if the things in it don't add up to real Christmas spirit, then I'll settle for whatever they do add up to. Remember last week, we asked you to write your Christmas wish for the world to Merry Christmas... Box 400, Radio City Station, New York 20, New York. We told you, you weren't going to get anything for your trouble. No prizes, not a thing. Well, so far, about 42,000 people, you too, I hope, have taken the trouble to do something for nothing. That's a mighty good-sized crowd, and the thing they've done is mighty good-sized, too. 
By their wishes and by their numbers, they have proved something pretty important. People are pretty swell people. They want a lot of good things for themselves, but they want a lot of good things for other folks, too. Love, faith, friendship. We haven't finished counting the letters yet, and uh, we haven't sorted the different wishes, but next Saturday, uh, we hope to be able to tell you, on Truth or Consequences, what the top ten wishes are. Meanwhile, the Christmas wish to the world idea is growing by leaps and bounds. On Christmas Day, seven daytime radio programs are going to devote their entire programs to dramatizing some of the wishes you sent in. Now, let's see, Harlow, where's that list of programs? Oh, here it is. Uh, Big Sister, Ma Perkins, Young Dr. Malone, The Guiding Light, Life Can Be Beautiful, Pepper Young's Family, and The Right to Happiness. Now, you've still got time to send in your Christmas wish to the world. Just answer this question. If you had the power, what would you give the world for Christmas? Keep your answer short, one word if possible. Send your answer to Merry Christmas, Box 400, Radio City Station, New York 20, New York. Not later than midnight, December 25th, please, so we can get them all counted and sorted in time to give you the results next Saturday night. Hey, Ralph, yes. Ralph, Harlow. Uh, Santa Claus left this Christmas present for you. For me, Harlow? Oh, gosh, that cheery big red box it does really does look Christmassy, doesn't it? It sure gets in the spirit on wash day. Does is one soap that does everything in the family wash. Why, it does get towels and linens as white as... Fresh fallen snow? You bet. They gleam with the true whiteness you want. Does is famous for whiteness. And just a short washer run with does gets grease-spotted work clothes shining clean. Yet does leaves the newest colors in your wash bright and perky as... A, a wreath of holly? You said it, Ralph. And does is safer for those colors than any other leading package soap sold for wash day. Does really is different. Even makes more suds, ounce for ounce. They're real soap suds, too. Believe me, the soap shortage taught folks there's no substitute for does. Why, it moves out of the store so fast these days... You gotta do your does shopping early, hey, Harlow? Right. So, folks, first chance you get, get does. From the roughest and toughest to the whitest and brightest, does, does everything. Right you are, Mr. Rosak. Yes, it's here again. For the past weeks, you've been going over that gift list and maybe most of your purchases there, but... Now on the threshold of the big week of the year, with wreaths in the window, holly on the door, with a jolly old man with the long white whiskers fattening up his reindeer for the big trip down, there's no denying it, Christmas is here. And come Thursday morning, the bells will be ringing in all the churches, the kids will be laughing in all the houses, and most everyone in his own way will be celebrating the reason for Christmas, the doctrine of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And we got to thinking what an ironic thing it is that many of those who helped give peace the real meaning of the word will be doing their celebrating from a bed or a wheelchair in a veteran's hospital. And I wonder if each one of them can know and feel in their heart just how grateful we are. So fellows in hospitals all over the country this next consequence is for you. As a matter of fact, you might even be the contestant we have for it. Here we go to a veteran's hospital, and will the fellow whose name I call please say hello back to me, although there may be no microphone in sight, you see. Hello? Hello? Hubert Smith. Hello. Hi, shipfitter third class Hubert Smith. This is Ralph Edwards at Truth or Consequences. Now, uh, tell our Christmas party listeners what hospital you're in, Hubert. 
Long Beach Naval Hospital. Yes, sir. Well, uh, all the gang around there? You bet. Uh, where's your home, Hubert? Uh, Greenville, Tennessee. Yes, where is Greenville, Tennessee? Well, uh, that's uh, 72 miles north of Knoxville. Yes, sir. Who all is in your family, Hubert? Well, there's uh, just three of us, my mother, father, and myself. I see. What do they call you, Hubert? Or... Well, no, they call me. I go with my initials, H.C. H.C., okay. But what's your father's occupation? Uh, he's the manager of the Greenville bus station. I see. What, uh, what uh, coach company is that? Uh, Tennessee Coach Company. I see. Well, before we go any further, we'd better give you a question, Hubert. Uh, Al, get me a question from the question bin, will you please, or Floyd? And then if you miss it, why, you must pay the consequences, okay? Well, I'll All try. right. Uh, the, the gang around there, uh, fellas, uh, we better give them uh, an easy question, do you think, or a hard one? Oh. Let them have it, okay. <laughs> Here, uh, Harold uh, DeSellis of Aurora, Illinois, wants us to tell him why a lazy husband is like a Model T Ford. Truth or consequences, H.C. H.C. Smith, Hubert Smith. Uh, How about that, H.C.? Why is a lazy husband like a Model T Ford? Well, uh... You got all sorts of time. You got 20 seconds, 18 have gone by, 19, 20. That's all. <laughs> because they're both shiftless. Uh, oh, man. I guess we got him, didn't we, gang? Well, you haven't told the truth, so you must pay the consequences. Now, your consequence, H.C., Hubert, is to pretend it's the night before Christmas in Greenville, Tennessee, your hometown, just as it's been for all the years you can remember. And you're back there with the family and the gang doing everything you've always done. This is before you ever thought of the word paralyzed or hospital cot. Okay, hang on. We're really going back to Greenville. This is a preview of Christmas Eve in Greenville, Tennessee, H.C. I suppose the first thing we'd better look in on is the school party. Didn't the uh, high school usually hold a Christmas party the day before Christmas? Yes, uh, they usually did sometime this just before Christmas or before we got out on vacation. Ah, uh, yeah. All right, then. Here we go, boy. Alakazoo, Alakazam, school party at Greenville High. Here we am. There they are, H.C. Hey, gang. Hey, everybody. Every hey, look. Listen, everybody. Look who's here. Here's Hubert Smith, old H.C. He's here for the annual Christmas party. How does that sound, Hubert? Well, I haven't thought about those fellows in a long time. Boy, they're glad to see you. Say howdy to them. Hello, gang. They're really there, boy. You'll have to sort of give your names, you fellows there and girls at school. Give your names one at a time, Hubert, um, so that uh, <laughs> we'll uh, recognize you, or at least H.C. will, just in case any of the guys have gotten fatter and the gals prettier. Go ahead. Hello, H.C. Remember me? Who is it? Mary's with Walker. Remember, H.C.? I sure do. Well, don't get so anxious, boy. All right, next. Hello, Smitty. This is Parks. Remember the explosion in Ms. Rimer's chemistry class? What do you say, Park? <laughs> Come on. Hello, H.C. This is Kathleen Bossel. Remember me? Oh, you bet, Kat. The whole gang, boy. Hi there, H.C. Remember me, Marietta Lamb. Well, Mary hello, Marietta. Hi, see, this is J.W. Ramsey. How's tricks? Oh, same as always. Who's tricks, huh? Never mind. Hello, H.C., it's Cy Ramsey. What do you say, Cy? Yeah. H.C., it's Maurice. Remember those big football games we used to have? Oh, you bet. 
Hello, H.C., this is Bill. Do you remember those firecrackers that we used to shoot in the study hall? Uh, okay, boy. Well, they, they all seem about the same, don't they, H.C.? Uh, they sure do. Yeah, any of you get married since, uh, since Hubert saw you last? Oh, yes, H.C., I'm getting married in the near future. Guess who I am? Well, that could be Kathleen Ambrose. Oh, you're exactly right. Well, you hit it right on the nose there. Well, who are you going to marry? Is that a question? Uh, Is that, uh, Kathleen, who are you going to marry? Uh, I mean, Jack Armitage. You remember him, H.C.? Well, uh, no, I think uh, Kat's uh, probably been going with some of the fellas since I left. She yeah. always was a hamper. <laughs> some of the... Getting some around quite uh, a bit. Some of the younger guy. crop has crept in, you know. Well, look, kids, uh, uh, we're uh, going to have to get running on. This, this magic spell only lasts to the end of Truth of Conflict tonight, and Hubert has a million things to do and a million people to talk to. So say goodbye, gang, here at the annual uh, school party at Greenville High School. <laughs> Biddy, this is your old principal, A.B. Gillen. You remember me? You bet. Uh, we just want you to know we are thinking of you all the time. The gang is all here with a happy tear in your eyes. Hurry and get well. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, Mr. Gillen. You bet it's Merry Christmas, fella, and a town full of friends proving it. But say, we better get floating over to the next place. Let's see, the night before Christmas in Tennessee. What would you be doing, H? Oh, my goodness, is all your Christmas shopping done? Hubert? No, I haven't thought anything about doing any this year. Man, did you did you get a gift for your best girl? Well, not yet. What's uh, what's her name? Uh, Lila Morell. Lila Morell. Uh, do you love her? You bet. <laughs> any uh, marriage uh, hopefulness there? Well, uh, I'm going to think about it seriously as soon as I get out of this bed. Yeah, boy. I knew there'd be some last-minute shopping to do. What, what do you want to get, Lila? How about a nice handkerchief or something like that, huh? Oh, uh, just for her? Why, she rates more than that. Well, yeah, but, I mean, we can get some. Maybe a handkerchief now, okay? Well, I'll settle for that, I guess. All right, well, come on. Before the stores close here, we're right in front of George R. Lane's store here on Main Street. Let's go in, shall we? Right. Okay, boy, come on. We're entering the front door, really, of George R. Lane's in your hometown of Greenville, Tennessee. Alla Kazam! Now, let's get that handkerchief and get on here. Let's see. We're in the store now. Here's a counter where we ought to be able to get a handkerchief. Hello. You, you recognize this fellow? Well, Hubert Smith. I'm Miss Fern Price. Remember me? Oh, yes. Remember my son, John? It's wonderful to see you, Hubert. Well, so you want some of these you. pretty ones? For a girlfriend, I bet. Yeah, she, he wants one of the pretty ones. Yeah. What color do you like? Well, we'll make it uh, white silk one. White. White silk. You want something with lace or just plain? Well, uh, might as well make it lace. What size does she wear? Now, wait a minute. What size? Isn't this the handkerchief counter? <laughs> oh, my, no. This is the lingerie counter. Oh, for goodness sakes. Give us a pretty handkerchief and let's get out of here, huh? H.C., say goodbye, boy. Goodbye. Goodbye, Hubert. Yes, sir. Let's get out on Main Street here. We'll hang on to Lila's present, handkerchief, in case you see her. Here we are. Wonder who's around here on Main Street. Right on Main Street. Who's who's out on Main Street? Hello, Hubert. This oh. is President Marr from the drugstore. It's good to see you. 
Do you re remember Fuzzy uh, Morrow, Herbert? Oh, you, you bet. Oh, straight oh, to see you, Fuzzy. You bet. Wait a minute, listen. Hear the church bells? You recognize that sound, Hubert? Those are really the church bells in Greenville, Tennessee. All this is in Greenville. This radio magic is real. Now, come on, let's get up to your church, huh? The Asbury Methodist Church. Still with me, huh? Yeah. We're right here in, in the vestibule. Let, let's peek through the door and see who all is here tonight. You recognize any of these people, H.C.? There's Mr. and Mrs. Perry Lamb. You remember? Oh, I, I remember all these, several and, of these people. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> boy, you're playing it right along. And and Bobby Phillips, remember him? Oh, sure, but I haven't seen him in a long time. You went in the Navy with him, didn't you? That's true. Yeah. Well, let's go on in because Reverend Fleenor will speak right after the organ stops. Uh, come on. Come on in. Here we go. Hey, A.C., remember me? I'm Catherine Frazier. Catherine Frazier. Oh, oh, Catherine. Kids shouldn't talk in church like this. Hey, A.C., Harry Thornton, remember, Pam? You bet. Yeah. And, and look over there. Hello, A.C., this is the grandmother. Hello, Grandmother. Oh. Here's Granddad. Hello, A.C. How are you? Just fine. Not a boy. Hello, A.C. How are you? Who's that? <laughs> Why, that's Linda. Yeah, boy. My name is Linda Louise Carter. Do you remember me? I'm sure. Sure he does. I'm sure the Reverend won't mind her talking like this. Oh, quiet, you folks. Reverend M. Guy Fleenor is going to speak. I have always thought about and preached about the joy of giving and how truly more blessed it is to give than to receive. But tonight, I find a genuine reason for joy in receiving, in receiving back into our midst one of our dearest friends, Hubert Smith. And whether it is by radio's miracle or in our dreams, H.C. has never left our hearts. And in hundreds of churches all over the country, I'm sure all of us preachers, priests, rabbis, and spokesmen of all faiths Look down at the seats where you boys used to sit and know in the deep of our hearts that the prayers which went with you into war will bring you back to us again to share the peace that you have made possible. H.C., it's good to have you with us. Did you hear what Reverend Fleenor said, Hubert? Sure did, Mr. Edwards. He meant you, and he meant all the fellas listening in hospitals all over the country. But Alakazoo, Alakazam, and look where we are now on this magic trip, spending a preview of Christmas Eve in your old hometown. Now, uh, 
You may be in a ward in a veterans hospital at Long Beach, California, and I may be here on this stage in Hollywood at NBC, but everything else is in your hometown of Greenville, Tennessee. Everything is real, especially these old pals of yours. Look, they're over here on North Main Street, all lined up as if they were just waiting for you to join in the Christmas carols. Hi, gang. Who are, who are you caroling tonight? Uh, we're in front of Dr. Ms. Haskell Fox's home. Right in front of it. We'll ask the gang what they're going to sing, H.C., uh, so you can join in. What are you going to sing tonight, gang? Hello, H.C. This is Eugenia Bewley, one of your seventh grade teachers out at Doak. One song you used to like best is Silent Night. Are you ready to lead us in it? Yeah, okay. I'll try. Yes, sir. Here we go, H.C. You started out, and your friends, 2,000 miles away, will join you in front of Dr. and Mrs. Fox's house there in Greenville. Here we go. Silent night, holy night, all is Wasn't it, Carolers? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hello, H.C., this is Dr. Fox. Mrs. Fox joins me in saying, that was swell. Merry Christmas. Welcome home. Oh, my goodness, I'm glad you reminded me, Dr. Fox. Home is right. I promised Hubert's mother and father I'd get him over to see them before the tree was trimmed. Now, here we go, right over to your house, H.C., Alakazam, and here we are. Uh, your folks are expecting us. Let, let me knock, though, just to warm them. Yeah. Anxious to talk to Mother and Dad? Sure am. Well, I'll, I'll bet they're as excited as you are. How long since you've been home? Well, it's been several months now, about eight months, in fact. Yeah, they're certainly taking their time. Seem to answer. Why, look, Hubert, there isn't even a light on. Where do you suppose they are? Well, they might still be at the station. No, they said they would see... Oh, what's the matter with me? Of course, they're not in Greenville, Tennessee tonight. Do you know where they are, H.C.? No, I haven't any idea, Mr. Edwards. They're right there outside the door of your ward in Long Beach Naval Hospital. Come in, Mother and Dad. Hello, H.C. Hello, H.C. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Are they there, H.C.? I guess they are. I guess it's yes, they're here. You bet. Well, goodness, there's Mother and Dad. H.C., we, we sort of pulled a switch on you there at the end. We really have been in Greenville with our microphones all night meeting your old friends. But when it came to Mom and Dad, we threw away the magic stuff and brought on the real thing. Your dad's boss, Mr. Al Kramer, even provided a substitute for both your mother and dad at the Tennessee Coach Company so they could come along. Are you happy, fella? Oh, sure, uh, Mr. Yes, Edwards. Yes, sir. 
If you can't go to Christmas, Christmas will come to you. Mother, how does he look to you? Oh, he never looked better to me, Mr. All right. Well, I guess uh, you heard H.C. meeting all his friends and doing some late Christmas shopping. By the way, H.C., uh, what did you do with that handkerchief you bought, huh, fella? Huh? I you... still have it. Well, why don't you get... Listen, why don't you give it to your fiancée, Lila Morell, huh? Go ahead oh, and give it to her. Because she's right there outside your door, too. Come in, Lila. Hello, H.C. Merry Christmas. Hello, Lila. Is that a surprise, <laughs> H.C.? Well, our hearts are with you, kids, who've been in love for a long time, and we know this Christmas will be a happy one for you. What do you do back in Greenville, Lila? I'm a telephone operator for the Intermountain Telephone Company, but the number that I want best is H.C. Well, you betcha. Mother and father and Lila, this reunion and your... And Hubert's happiness, we mean for every veteran in veterans' hospitals all over the country tonight. This is your moment, too, fellas, because your parents and wives and children and sweethearts in their minds and hearts are thinking, that's me there with you. And that's what your hometown is thinking right now, too, boys. Small town, big city, that's what they're thinking. And don't think it's just at Christmas time, either. It's every day. It's just that with all this talk about peace on Earth at Christmas time, we wanted you to know in this special way that the peace you fought to give us, we're going to fight to keep. H.C., Mother and Dad, and Lila are here as our guests to spend the Christmas holidays with you. Uh, we, we have hotel reservations for them near the hospital there. And since we've pretended this is Christmas Eve, let us give you your present. You've got a swell future, Hubert. The courage that has brought you this far is the same courage that will see you through the future. Here to help that future is a $500 savings bond. Good luck. God bless you. Merry Christmas, H.C. Thank you, Mr. Evans, and a very Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. Good night. Good night, boys. Good, Good night. Good night, Mr. Edwards. engineer DeWitt Schultes and uh, Truth or Consequences producer Ed Bailey in Greenville, Tennessee's Church and School, to engineer Jim Hackett and producer Dick Lochran at Main Street and Lane Store, Greenville, to uh, engineer Joe Kay and uh, producer Fred Carney at Long Beach Naval Hospital, and to our studio and mixing engineer Johnny Pollock and producers Al Pascal and Floyd Holm here in Hollywood, to our Truth or Consequences organist Buddy Cole and church organist Ida Ripley in Greenville, Tennessee and to all of Hubert's many friends in Greenville, Tennessee, who were so eager to pay this tribute to their pal, ship fitter third class, Hubert Smith, paralyzed from the neck down in Long Beach Naval Hospital. And all the veterans throughout the country are grateful thanks to you. Listen to this, the walking man. Who is the walking man? Keep listening to Truth or Consequences for the walking man. It may mean a gigantic prize for the one who knows. Who is the walking man? Hear all about it next week on Truth or Consequences. The walking man. Well, look who's dashing through the suds with jingle bells, too. Ha <laughs> ha!
It's those happy does carolers and their merry washing machines. Greetings. D-U-Z, D-U-Z. Put does in your washing machine. Work clothes come out oh so clean. White things white and colored things bright. D-U-Z does everything. From the roughest and the toughest to the whitest and the brightest. No so bright like does before. Does is different, does does more. When you does your wash, you'll sing. D-U-Z does everything. D-U-Z. That was delightful, delightful kid, yes, sir. And folks, now listen, the truth is, today's prices for used kitchen fats are higher, much higher than last summer. Everybody save every drop of used fat. It's worth your while. This is Ralph Edwards speaking on behalf of our sponsor, the makers of Does, and wishing you a very Merry Christmas. And until next week, when you hear more about The Walking Man, a brand new gigantic prize contest, good night, everybody. December 20th, 1947, to the consequences. All right, let's get, go to Campbell Playhouse. December 17th, 1939, always a woman. Jaws Professional 1, blank. Windows M, desktop M, my music, M, my documents, enter, docket, 4, C, Christmas show, enter, Christmas, Amos C, Calvin Couple, Net, Doris D, Doris C, Campbell Playhouse, 391217, F41, there's always a one, loading, jock hands, okay, enter, enter. Makers of Campbell Soups present the Campbell Playhouse. Orson Welles, producer. Motion pictures and even the radio and the living stage have made it clear by now that the female of the species is not only more deadly than the opposite sex, more desirable, but also more durable in times of stress and more to be relied on for the solution of even the bloodiest murders. And in case these observations may seem as irrelevant as they are certainly irreverent, let me break down right here and admit the subject of tonight's broadcast is the bloodiest of bloody murders. Now, as to the ladies. Time was when all the girls used to do in a mystery story was to scream, scream loudly, and be grasped at by horrible, uh, clutching claws. But all that's been changed. And the heroines of these modern romances are ladies of parts. They are not 
the ones to find themselves clad only in something filmy and feminine, being carried off by a gorilla whose identity you will be subsequently requested not to divulge. They are not susceptible to hypnosis, to the blandishments of sinister Latins, and they never faint. Suspicion. But the gentlemen, I am sorry to say, have degenerated in our new fiction into a pretty pathetic low among human things. There seems to be no excuse for us. I say us because tonight I am fated to attempt before this microphone the portrayal of one of these wretched beings. No, the lady bloodhounds could do without us if they didn't still insist, just for appearances, on the old traditional turnout of likely suspects. There's always a woman, which is tonight's story, contains no less than two murders and Miss Mary Wilson. Miss Wilson is one of the most promising of the talented and personable young women whom Hollywood has discovered in recent days. Her frequent appearance as what is called a dumb and dizzy blonde is, let it be noted, an outstanding example of what is known to the entertainment world as casting against type. In There's Always a Woman, Miss Wilson demonstrates again that dumbness and dizziness can be surface disguises of infinite resources and a far-seeing purpose. But before our story of the evening, Mr. Ernest Chappell has a question to ask us, the answer to which I'm pretty sure will be unanimous. Mr. Chappell? Thank you, Orson Welles. And ladies and gentlemen, the question is simply this. What one soup would you say most deserves to be called a family standby? As Orson Welles suggested, I'm pretty sure of your answer. Isn't it vegetable soup? Bowls of homemade vegetable soup, I imagine, are among the very earliest memories of nearly all of us. Maybe we also recall the time and trouble Mother took to make that soup, simmering the stock and preparing the vegetables. Yet, as Mother's will, she always felt rewarded when she saw how much the family enjoyed it. Today, most of us still have a keen liking for vegetable soup. But wives and mothers increasingly are giving up making it and instead are serving Campbell's vegetable soup. Are you at your house? Of course, it will save much kitchen time and trouble, but a far more important reason is that one taste of Campbell's will convince you that it's made in the time-honored good home way. Grown-ups and children alike enjoy the 15 different garden vegetables and the rich beef stock that together make Campbell's vegetable soup so stout and hearty and nourishing. You'll realize why women everywhere agree that it's almost a meal in itself. Wouldn't piping hot bowls of Campbell's vegetable soup just hit the spot with everyone at your house tomorrow? And now Orson Welles in There's Always a Woman with Marie Wilson. Reardon for three months' rent. Due $375. Unless this bill is paid in or on before the first, the undersigned reserved the right to re-rent the premises. Signed, Frank F. Carter. Oh, Bill, what are we going to do? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get my old job back. Hello? Is this the district attorney's office? Oh, district no, attorney Bill, there? No. Oh, shut up. This is uh, Bill uh, Reardon. Oh, hello, Joe. Will he be in? Half an hour? Thanks. 
Oh, Bill, where's your prize? I just swallowed it. It's the only thing you can swallow on credit. Come on, Sally, we'll go down and see the DA together. You can make up your mind your husband is just too dumb to make a go of this detective business. Uh, not me. I'm going to carry on here. All right, you carry on, but make sure to get out of here by the first of the month, unless you want Mr. Carter to re-rent you, too. Well, I hope you don't get the job. If I don't, there's a cute little bench in Central Park where we can spend the summer. Oh, Bill. And don't be too sure of that bench. It's first come, first served in Central Park. Pardon me. Is Mr. Reardon in? No. Uh, could you tell me when he'll be and I want to see him on business? A uh, business? Uh, uh, well, uh, won't you sit down? Thank you. Uh, Mr. Reardon is out right now on a very important case, but if there's anything that, uh, say, uh, uh, could I have him call you? I prefer not to give my name. Well, just as you wish, Mrs. Frazier. How did you know my name is Frazier? Well, your picture was in the papers when you were married, and it's a detective's business never to forget a face. Are you a detective? I'm Mr. Reardon's chief operator. I handle all his women clients. You see, women often feel that they can talk more freely to another woman. And you keep this matter confidential. Well, I won't even discuss it with Mr. Reardon. But he'll have to know, won't he? Well, not unless you want him to. You see, you'll be entered in our books as a number. Uh, now, just a moment. Let's see. The last case was, let me see, number 375. Your case will be number 376. And now then, what can I do for you? Well, there's a person I'd like to have shadowed. Her name is Calhoun, Anne Calhoun. Here's her picture. Oh, thanks. Gee, nice looking, isn't she? That to Lola, who is doing a much better job than I would have done, Anne. Hmm. Is this inscription anything to do with the case? Anne Calhoun was engaged to my husband before I... Before... Oh, uh, I understand. Well, there hasn't been anything to understand until a week ago. Then quite suddenly, Mr. Fraser began getting letters and phone calls from her. I haven't spied, but I, I know her handwriting and I know her voice. There's something going on between them and you've got to find out. If I don't solve it by the first of the month, Mrs. Fraser, I'll retire from business. I'll just leave this office uh, By the I... way, if you want to get a good look at her, at Miss Calhoun, she and my husband and I and Jerry Marlowe are dropping in at the Skyline Club tonight. A uh, Skyline Club? Oh, well, I'll be there. Now, I dare say you want some advance money for expenses. Uh, I dare say. I don't know what your rates are, miss, but uh, how would $300 do? $300? Why? I'm sorry. It's all I happen to have with me. Of course, if you insist, Oh, I... no, no, that's all right. It's... Of course, it's less than our usual rates, but I'm delighted to make the exception. Well, thank you, miss. Um, uh... Operator 7, just call me that. Goodbye, 376. Reardon Detective Agency, Operator 7. Who's that? You sound awfully happy. Oh, I am. I got my job back. Let's celebrate. What's the salary? I said celebrate. What do you get paid? $75 each and every week. Oh, isn't that nice? Hey, what's wrong? Well, I said, isn't that nice? Say, what did you say about celebrating? Better start packing. But what's the hurry? We got until the first. Okay, if you don't mind being lonesome, tell me, how's the Reardon Agency coming along under its new management? Uh, splendidly, thank you, splendidly. Customers are popping in all over the place. Customers? Name one. The Reardon Detective Agency never reveals the name of its clients. That's part of the Reardon policy. That's an easy policy. There aren't any Reardon clients. Any more bills come in? Uh, several. Uh, three great big ones. Say, didn't you say something about celebrating? Sure, where you meet me? Well, how about the Skyline Club, Bill? We can afford it, can't we? No, we can't afford the Skyline Oh, Club. just this once. It's always just this once. Oh, Bill, I just love the Skyline Club. Sally, we can't afford the Skyline Club. I just 
love the Skyline Club, don't you, Bill? Well, don't you, Bill? No, it's too expensive, but it is pretty, and this man wants to take your order. He's not waiting to ask you to dance. Oh, oh excuse me. Let's see. After the puree mongol, uh, uh, I think I'll take the filet mignon. Next name. You mean instead of filet mignon? No, I'd really rather have the filet mignon. And some sliced tomatoes. Sliced tomatoes, yes, madame. And some potato salad. And some potato, sa- potato salad. Uh, strawberry parfait. How about and, that, dear? Oh, yeah, and some coffee. Uh, does strawberries go with martinis? Madame will find out. Too sweet, madame. And you, monsieur Reardon? A small glass of water and a hard roll. Toasted? If you insist. With the regular dinner, sir? If you insist. Any wine, sir? No, thanks, sir. I mean, no. Now, wait a minute. I might want some. Why don't you ask No me? wine, waiter, and make it quick. You're very good, monsieur. Scruples? No, just mathematics. All I have is a $20 bill. Uh, you don't, by any chance, have a couple of dollars in your purse. Money? Well, why didn't you say so? Now, let's see. I've got, uh, got a half a dollar and four pennies and three sticks of chewing gum. Give me and... the half a dollar. You can keep the chewing gum. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Uh, Mr. Shane. Uh, Hello, Mr. Reardon. Just the man I want to see, Mr. Shane. Will you uh, cash a check for me, Mr. Why, Shane? Sure. Uh, How much do you want? Not much. Uh, Twenty-five bucks. Uh, better make it fifty in case we want some uh, champagne. Uh, champ- uh, it's uh, Mrs. Reardon, Mr. Shane. <laughs> Oh, how do you do, Mr. Shane? Nice to meet you, Mrs. Reardon. My wife. Uh, Here's your 50. Thanks. Got a pen? I'll write you a check. Here you are. Oh, you're taking an awful chance, Mr. Shane. <laughs> uh, I don't think he's got $50 in his account. Yeah. Well, I'm sort of used to taking chances. <laughs> your wife has a great sense of humor, Mr. Reardon. Have you noticed it, too? Here's your check. Thanks. Haven't seen you around lately, Mr. Reardon. No, I've been busy. How do you like being on your own? I'm not exactly on my own anymore. I'm back with the DA. Oh, that reminds me. You don't happen to have his home phone number, do you? Well, you did me a favor. Lexington 8672, and he won't be home until pretty late. Lexington 8672. Thank you. Oh, uh, don't tell him where you got it. Excuse me, Mr. Shane. The captain told me to tell you there's a call for you in the office. Excuse me, folks. Oh, certainly, Mr. I'll Shane. probably see you around later. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Bye. Nice personality. Yes, uh, most gamblers have. Gambler? I thought you said he owned this place. Well, he also happens to own the casino across the river. Oh, uh, why couldn't I have married a man like that instead of a prohibitionist? Say, I'll bet he could have got us a better table than this one, too. We're lucky to have a table at all. Do you remember way back, Sally, on the phone when you promised if I brought you to the Skyline Club, you'd go light on everything? But that was before you made the $50. What $50? $50 you just got from Mr. Shane. Oh, excuse me. I forgot uh-huh. about that. Of course, there's always a chance that he might deposit that check. Well, even if he does, you still have $50 more than when you started out. And that's certainly a profit. Certainly is. Mm-hmm. But do me a favor, will you, Sally? And don't mention it to the income tax people. They don't understand finance as well as you do. You know you can trust me, Bill. Sure. Eat your soup. Not soup. It's puree mango. Try not to eat so noisily, even if you had a couple of martinis. That's quality folk. The next table. Oh, phew. That's not quality folk either. I'll bet they're just as unimportant as you and I. For your information, Mrs. Reardon, they are people that any per- one pretending to be a detective ought to know at first sight. They're Mr. and Mrs. Fraser. Faber? Fra- uh, F-R-A-S-E-R. Oh, I get Fraser. it, I get it. <laughs> this other man is Jerry Marlowe, transcontinental copper, and the girl's Ann Calhoun. You know Ann Calhoun. He's oh, engaged to her. Oh, you're just showing off again, Bill Reardon. I don't think you know anything about oh, be them. be quiet. Not so loud, Sally, please. I'm not talking half as loud as they are. No. Shh. Why Come should on, we Anne listen? But Jerry, I just promised this dance to Walter. Didn't I, Walter? Yes, certainly did. Say, who's engaged to Anne, anyhow? Don't be jealous, Jerry. If you two think you're going to put anything over... Oh, Jerry, come on and dance. Oh, all right. Turn around. They'll notice you're staring at them, oh. Sally. I'll bet they love it. Oh, Why, if I was a society, I'd want everybody to stare at me all the time. I wonder if you'd answer me one question. What question? How did a smart guy like me happen to marry a dumb cluck like you? Oh, I don't know. I don't think there's any explanation. No, probably not. It's just one of those things, yeah. you know. 
say, you know, this filet mignon is delicious. It's, it's delicious. Glad you enjoy it. Aren't you eating your lamb? Not shop? hungry. Hmm. Well, you paid for it. Don't be extravagant. I don't want anything more to eat. Waiter, bring me something to drink. Champagne, one glass. Oh, but one madame. glass. Two glasses, waiter. Oh, yes, madame. You've had more than enough to drink, Sally. Not well, I can still spell Mississippi. M-I-S-I-P-I. Correct? It's as close as you'll ever get. <laughs> Let's go back to the table. Uh, shh, quiet, Bill. What is it now? We're going to get another chance to learn how to talk when oh, we get into society. you can't sit there and just listen in on a lot of <laughs> well, people. Well, can I help it if I want to be cultured like Mr. and Mrs. Frazier oh, sh- and Miss Calhoun? Sh- now, quiet, this is for when I've been dancing with somebody else's Did husband. We we should stop well, it wouldn't be the first time he lost you, Anne. What do you mean by that, Jerry? I'll tell you what I mean by that. Anne's engaged to me now, and I'll kill the first guy that tries to take her away from her. Bravo, bravo, that's the spirit. Oh, Just a minute, Sally. madam. Our conversation is no concern of yours. Oh, I know, yes. but you were expressing yourself so beautifully, I couldn't help but listen in. Sally, will you please shut <laughs> up, Sally, Say, dear, Sally, if I darling. knew this gentleman's name, I'd be glad to Listen here, you. young lady. Bill, but you don't... Walter, let's pay the check and go. Oh, you think Mr. Frazier means our check, too? Sally, you'd better shut up. Do you think so? Come on, let's go. Uh, look, mister, would you like me to shut Ellie, up? I'm coming. Yes, I'm coming. See, Bill, you were wrong. They won't even answer me. You're lucky. Wait up. Uh, yes, Mr. Reardon. You can give Mrs. Reardon the check, please. <laughs> paper. I beg pardon? Uh, it says here in your paper that Walter Frazier was shot. Shot dead in Jerry Marlowe's apartment. Uh, just a minute. I'll give you the city desk. Okay. Good morning, city desk. Oh, can you tell me if it's true about Walter Frazier? Madam, are you kidding? Well, it's here in the headlines. It says Frazier was shot in Jerry Marlowe's apartment. You think we put it in to improve circulation? What do you want, madam? Well, I wonder if I could interest you in the Frazier murder. Why? Did you kill him? No, but I think I know who did. I'm Sally Reardon of the Reardon Detective Agency. You know. No, I don't know, but go ahead. Well, if you don't want to know about a threat that Marlowe made, I can call the Globe. You know, there's more than one paper in New York. Yes, okay, okay. We'll send somebody over. What's the address? <laughs> Now, take it easy, Marlowe. I don't want to take it easy. And you're a fine lawyer, I must say. Take it easy. Can't you read? Marlowe guilty, says blonde investigator. Why should I hire anybody who says that? To make a stop say that. That's bribery, Mr. Ketterling. I don't want any part of it. You made the threat, didn't you? Yes, yes, I made the threat. But I didn't kill him. That's important, too. Not as important as you think. The important thing is to make sure you're not convicted. Mrs. Reardon is here, Mr. Ketterling. Good. Send her right in. And you'll be nice to her, Jerry? Nice to her, nice to her. I'd like to kill her. You keep on talking about liking to kill people, and you'll be a suspect in every murder trial in New York. This way, Mrs. Reardon. Oh, how, how do you do, Mrs. Reardon? Oh, are you Mr. Ketterling? You know Mr. Marlowe, don't you? Oh, well, we met last night, didn't we? I mean, well, maybe we didn't meet, but we spoke. Mrs. Reardon, I've explained to Mr. Marlowe that you've agreed to do some investigating for us. Well, you understand, Mr. Marlowe, we're very busy down at the office just now, but this was such an interesting uh, case, I felt I couldn't afford to turn it down. That's very generous of you, Mrs. Reardon. Don't you think so, Jerry? Yes, very generous, very generous. Uh, Yes, Mr. Ketterling and I agreed upon 200 a week in expenses, didn't we, Mr. Ketterling? That's right, and here's your check, Mrs. Reardon. Wait a minute. Mrs. Reardon, how are you going to fix that newspaper story? Oh, that. (laughs) Excuse me for waving this check in your face, Mr. Marlowe, but I want the ink to dry. Hello? Daily Bulletin. 
Uh, give me the city desk. City desk. Good morning. Uh, hello, this is Mrs. Reardon. Uh-huh. Uh, I've got a new story for you. Got your pencil ready? Ready. All right. A Marlowe innocent, innocent, says blonde investigator. Make up your mind, lady. Well, well I, I know I said he was guilty, but just this minute I picked up some new evidence. And I hope it doesn't bounce. Are you home? I'm home. Why'd you repeat that crack of Marlis to the reporters? Which crack? When a man threatens to kill a rival in a nightclub, you know he's not going to do it. Why did you repeat it to the reporters? Oh, I didn't repeat anything. I just happened to be talking to the Daily Bulletin, in one way or another, I... Sally Reardon, you tell me the truth, or so help me, I'll kill you. Everybody wants to kill somebody lately. Have you noticed? Sally. Well, I told him I was going to get some publicity, or rather, I told publicity. you I was going to get publicity, and... Well, after all, Marlowe did say but it. But he was drunk, and I'm supposed to be working for the district attorney, not trying cases in the newspapers. Oh, gee, I didn't mean to do anything wrong, Sally, Bill. I appreciate what you're trying to do, but I've told you before, it's the man's place to make the money for the home, and it's the woman's place to take care of the man when he comes home, Sally. Oh, Bill, you're perfectly right. And to prove it, I'm going into the kitchen right now, and I'm going to get you the best supper you ever had. How do you want your coffee, weak or strong? Strong. I've got things to do tonight. What things? I thought you were going into the kitchen. But, Bella, why should take an interest in what her husband is doing, don't you think? No. Uh, are you and the D.A. going to arrest anybody tonight? No, but I'll tell you who the D.A. would uh, like to arrest. Who? You. Mr. Marlowe, you're not going to get anywhere by trying to oppose us. What the D.A. wants is the truth. If you're smart, you'll cooperate with us. You'll all cooperate with us. Good morning, Mr. Evans. Mrs. Fraser, you know District Attorney, Mr. Evans, I think. How uh, do you do, Mrs. Fraser? We're sorry, of course, trouble you at a time like this, but Anything it can't be helped. I can do it. Okay. We want to know exactly where in this apartment each person was when the shot was fired. How about you, Miss Calhoun? I was in the kitchen mixing a drink. And where was Mr. Fraser? I don't know. I, I, I'm i sure he was in the living room. Is it true that you were once engaged to Mr. Fraser, Miss Calhoun? Yes, I was. And now you're engaged to Mr. Marlowe. Yes, I am. And what of it? Nothing, Mr. Marlowe. Only I may have to dig into some of these relationships. You're just trying to make a lot all. of trouble. That'll do you. Where were you, Mrs. Fraser, when the shot was fired? I was in the library. I was reaching for the phone. Where were you, Marlowe? Well, to tell the truth, I'd had a couple of drinks. I couldn't swear where I was. Why, Jerry, you were in the kitchen with me. But, Jerry, I thought... Yes, Mrs. Fraser? Oh, nothing. You were about to say something. But Jerry had just walked me through the living room to show me where the phone was. The shot came almost immediately, and I, I didn't think he had time to get back to the kitchen. He had just come back when the shot was fired. Well, what about it, Marlowe? I've told you I don't remember. Nobody seems to remember much anything about this affair. I beg your pardon, what is it, Mr. officer? Or could you come out in the hall for sure, a Sure, I'll be right back. Excuse me, folks. Jerry didn't do it, no lie. Well, Fogarty, what is it? There's a crazy dame been trying to get in here. I told her she couldn't. She told me to memorize this message and to give it to you. Memorize a message? Dearest darling, don't forget the butler, Sally. She said you were dearest darling... And you'd know who she was. I know who she was. No answer. Go back to your post. Hey, you there. Come back here. You the butler? Yes, sir. What's your name? Grigson, sir. Where were you last night, uh, Grigson, when Mrs., uh, rather, Mr. Fraser was murdered? Oh, I was asleep, sir. The shot waked me. I put on a bathrobe and I came down. How long have you worked for Mr. Marlowe? I engaged him in London two years ago. Nothing wrong with your memory now, Mr. Marlowe, is there? Well, you better start remembering some recent last night. I want to take a look at your pantry, Grigson. Yes, sir. Come on. I'm in a search this apartment. We haven't been able to visit Grigson. Oh, I don't know, sir. You haven't seen it, have you? No, sir. Get away from that door. What are you trying to do? Conceal something in that icebox? No, I wasn't trying to conceal it. I'll take a look I... anyway. It's all right. Wait a minute. That's a funny place for an ice cube tray. Well, I I, I didn't have time to put it back in the right place. I'll just so take just... a look at it. Well, what have you got to say now? Well, I... 
I don't think I understand, It's sir. not so hard to understand. There's a gun frozen into that tray, that's all. Why, I never saw it before. Well, what have you found? Nothing much, just this gun. Where was it? In the ice cube tray. How do you count for that, Grigson? I, I don't know, sir. Ever handle a gun? No, Here, sir. Here, take all of this gun of mine. Don't get scared. I'm taking the cartridges off. Yes, sir. You say you never shot a gun? No, sir. Well, here's your first lesson. Shoot this. Oh, no, sir. I, I couldn't. I wouldn't know how, Just sir. pull the trigger. Give me that gun. Yes, sir. You never shot a gun before? No, sir. You knew enough to release the safety catch before you pulled the trigger. Fogarty! Yes, sir. Take him downtown. You can't do that. Marlowe! You were told to stay in the other Are room. Are you trying to hang this on Grigson? Want to go along, Mr. Marlowe? You bet I do. Fine. Maybe they can help you to remember down there where you were last yes, night. Yes, and I warn you, if any attempt is made to force escape... Come on, come on. Just a minute, Bill. Yeah? Whatever made you suspect the button? Oh, just instinct. You know how it is. You get a hunch. Just one of those things. Sorry, Miss. District Attorney's busy. Well, will you please tell him that Mrs. Reardon is here? I'm sorry, you'll have to wait. You'll have a chair, please. Why, how do you do, Miss Reardon? Oh, Mr. Shane, fancy meeting you here. Uh, can I sit next to you? I wish you would. Tell me, Mr. Shane, what is a high-class restaurant owner doing in the District Attorney's office, if I may ask? Oh, I get around. Say, I hope you aren't here to complain about my husband's check. <laughs> no, that hasn't bounced yet. What might you be doing in the District Attorney's office, if I may ask, Mrs. Reardon? Some new clues on the Frazier murder? How did you know? Oh, I've been following you. You've been following me? In the papers. Oh. As I understand it, you no longer think Jerry Marlowe is guilty. Oh, no. That first story I gave out was just a red herring. Suspect the butler? Oh, no. It's never the butler. When you've read as many... I mean, when you've handled as many detective cases as I have, you know it's never the butler. Oh, they always look guilty, but it turns out they never are. They found the gun on him. Oh, they always do. That's just to throw you off the track. Now, uh, no, there's just one clue that may be worth... <gasps> Mr. Shane, maybe you can help me. I'd appreciate the opportunity. Uh, just what was in that envelope that Ann Calhoun gave you the other night? Envelope that Ann Calhoun gave me? The night I was in the Skyline Club with my husband. I don't know what you're talking oh, about. Shane. Yeah, hello, Mr. Evans. Shane, I'm sorry, but I won't have time to see well, you. When I called you the other night, you said to be sure and drop yes, in. Yes, I morning. know, I know, but that was before this Fraser case turned up. Uh, come in and see me next week sometime. All right, I... I'll call you when I'm ready for you. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye, Mr. Redden. Uh-huh. Goodbye, Mr. Shane. Think it over. Oh, could I have a moment, please, Mr. Evans? I must talk to you. I have some very important clues. I've been reading all about your clues. Oh, but 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 this is a new one. Yes, tell them to your husband. Maybe he'll listen to you. Oh. Oh, you see, he isn't speaking to me these days. Yeah, smart fellow, Reardon. You know, Mr. Evans, I think he's mixed up in this case. Who, your husband? No, Mr. Shane. As it happens, I was talking to Shane over the telephone just about the time the murder was committed. What do you think he was doing? Holding a receiver in one hand, a revolver in the other? Maybe he's a ventriloquist. Look, Mrs. Reardon, I have great sympathy with your husband, greater now than with any man I have ever met. And if you don't stop butting into this case... I trying to help serve the ends of justice. The ends of justice have gotten along very well now until without you. So will you please go away? All right. Alan Grigson, if you've got any sense at all, you'll stop pretending you're dumb. We've been here for three hours talking to you and we're prepared to stay for 30. It's up to you. I don't know anything, Mr. How did that gun get into your pantry, Grigson? I don't know. How did that gun happen to have your fingerprints? I don't know. You can't pin this thing on me. On the second of this month, you went to a pawn shop located at 374 Hillcrest Drive, Newark. No. You bought a revolver there for $15. No, I didn't. The pawnbroker has identified you from your photograph. I don't believe it. Before you bought the revolver, Grigson, you examined several rifles. No, I didn't. He tried to sell me a rifle. I thought you'd walk into that, Grigson. Well, Well, I. I bought the gun for Mr. Marlowe. Marlowe sent you to a pawn shop. No. He gave me $20 to go and he buy a gun. He gave you $20 to buy a gun and you bought one for $15. Chiseled him out of $5. Well, I hid the gun for him. Oh, you I... did hide the gun. Oh, 
After I bought the gun, Mr. Marlowe kept it in a drawer in his room. About a week ago, the gun was missing. Did you speak to Marlowe about it? No, I didn't think it was any of my business. Go on. Well, when the shot was fired, I put on my bathrobe and I rushed down. Aisha's body was lying on the floor. A woman was screaming. Yes, Mr. tell Marlow. us about that. Tell us about Mr. Marlowe. Well, he, he was trying to quiet the ladies. Mrs. Fraser and Miss Calhoun. I saw a gun lying by the French window. The gun you bought at the pawn shop? Yes. I picked it up and I slipped it in my bathrobe and I hid it in the pantry. Marlowe told you to hide it? No. What did he say when you told him where it was? I didn't tell you him. You expect us to believe that? I don't care what you believe. It's the truth. <laughs> Mr. Marlowe, I read you the statement we got from Grigson. What have you got to say about it? All right. All right, I did have Grigson buy a gun. What of it? The gun disappeared about a week. The gun just walked out of your desk. I don't know what happened to it. Did you ask Grigson about it? No. And when I saw it was missing, I was glad. Why were you glad, Mr. Marlowe? I was afraid I might use it on Fraser. You bought it to use on Fraser, didn't you? Yes. Why? Because he was up to something with Anne. With Miss Calhoun, I mean. She's been worried to death about something. She'd been writing. How do you know she was writing to him? I was with him in his apartment one day when a maid brought his mail in. I know Anne's handwriting. He didn't open the letter. He just looked confused and slipped it into his pocket. Any idea what it was all about? No, she denied everything. and He lied. I was going crazy. I'd have killed him all right. I'm sorry I didn't. Cheer up, Marlowe. Maybe we can prove you did. listening to Orson Welles in the Campbell Playhouse presentation of There's Always a Woman with Marie Wilson. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Ernest Chapel, ladies and gentlemen, welcoming you back to the Campbell Playhouse. In a moment, we shall resume our presentation of There's Always a Woman. But first, as we all realize, in a very few days now, the Christmas holidays will be upon us. And with the children home for vacation, we usher in the happiest and the busiest season of the year. Perhaps the busiest person of all in every home will be mother. There'll be entertaining, dinners to be given, gay parties for the young people possibly relatives staying over, and the task of planning, preparing, and carrying through this round of Yuletide activities will, of course, fall mainly upon Mother as the heart and center of the home. Among these tasks of hers, none will loom larger, probably, than the planning of meals, and so I'd like to remind every mother listening tonight of the part that well-chosen soups can play in holiday menus. Apart from the wholesome nourishment you know good soup provides for everyone, not forgetting the children, you'll be delighted to see how the serving of a tempting soup can dress up even your simplest meal. Give it a really festive touch. During the holidays just ahead, I'm sure you'll want to serve Campbell's soups often for their fine home-like flavor and for the real help they can give you in meal planning these busy days. And now Orson Welles resumes our Campbell Playhouse presentation of There's Always a Woman with Marie Wilson. 
Thank you, Mr. Chappell, and we'll proceed in just a minute. But before we do, who killed Walter Fraser? Uh, did uh, you do it, Mr. Wells? Well, that isn't fair. I'm the detective, but uh, you never know. Uh, how about uh, Marie Wilson? Sally? Mr. Chappell, you're speaking of my wife, but she knows more than she's telling, or she's telling more than she knows. Why, Bill, I never knew you cared. In fact, I think there's less to Miss Wilson than meets the eye. Well, how about me? Who are you? You know perfectly well, Orson Welles. I'm Ray Collins, heavily disguised as Nicky Shane, the gambler, and I'd like to know what Grigson the butler was doing with Marlowe's revolver in the ice cube tray. Everett Sloan, you're playing Grigson. Now, just a minute, Ray. I must warn you, Everett Sloan, that anything you say will be held against Grigson. Well, I don't want to name any names, but the gun belongs to Edgar Barrier, who's playing Marlowe. Yes, but I don't keep my guns on ice. Shall we suspect the ladies? Cad Bounder. That was Mary Taylor and Georgia Bacchus in the order of their appearance. Mary Taylor plays Lola, the first client of the Reardon Detective Agency, the wife of the murdered man. And uh, Georgia Bacchus plays Anne Calhoun, who was engaged to the murdered man and who is now, interestingly enough, engaged to Mr. Marlowe. I object. This is irrelevant. Name, please? Frank Reddick. Never mind the billing, Frank. Okay, I'm playing your boss, the district attorney, and I'll thank you to get on with the case. Remember, please, that a murder has been committed. That's right. There's another member in the cast, Mr. Richard Wilson. I'm sorry, Mr. Wells. I'm Walter Frazier. I can't step out of character. I'm dead. I think this has gone far enough. Mr. Ketterling, please. Oh, hello, Mr. Ketterling. Oh, I've marvelous news for you. Uh-huh. Uh, I tried to get you earlier, and then later I was out myself shopping. Uh-huh. I just get in, got in this minute. Huh? Uh, the good news? Well, it's not exactly good. I mean, well, it looks pretty bad for our client, poor Mr. Marlowe. <laughs> yes, but don't you worry. I have a plan if I can get rid of my husband. Uh, I'm, I'm starting out at 8 o'clock, and... No, I can't tell you yet. Well, because I'm not quite sure what the plan is. <laughs> Goodbye, Mr. Catterling. All right, you dirty little double-crosser. You heard the phone call? I heard part of it. I wasn't interested much. Oh, you weren't interested much. No, after a man has discovered his wife is double-crossing him, nothing she can say can interest him. And besides, the man at headquarters is listening in and taking down the full conversation. You mean these wires are tapped? In a way. Then you know everything? No, I'm not that good, but I do know that Catterling and Marlowe have hired you... How did you find that out? I'm the smartest detective in town. You told me so. You're the smartest detective in town. Anyhow, I got some clients. Yes, you got one client, a potential murderer. Is that so? To me, the most convincing proof that Marlowe was guilty is that he hired you. Only a desperate man would do that. But he's not guilty. That's your story, and you're being paid to think it. He had his man buy a gun in order to kill Frazier, and Frazier was killed. That adds up, doesn't it? No, it doesn't add up. The gun was stolen from him a week ago. Can you prove that? No. But I'm going you to. You haven't got a chance. Well, if I do, will you admit that I'm a better uh, better man than you are or am? Well, anyway, just good. You bet. I know when I'm licked. Well, I must be running along. I suppose I ought to warn you that wherever you go tonight, you'll probably be shadowed by one of my men. Oh, that's not fair, Bill. All's fair in love and war. Hey, this is war in a way, isn't it? Mm. But it's love, too, I guess, or I'd have divorced you long ago. So long, dear. Oh, so long. Oh, as a matter of fact, I'm going out, too. Oh, Bill. Yeah? 
Doesn't this remind you of the Civil War stories, you know, where the northern uh, uh, captain falls in love with the beautiful southern spy? A little. Oh, and uh, when you get back home, if you're not too tired, dear, I wish you'd go through my dress and look over my socks. I think some of them need mending. Oh, that's what I like about you, Bill. You're so romantic. Anybody you think you'll ever leave this room alive? Oh, I married you the greatest detective in the whole world, and he'll track you down to the ends of the earth. You don't mean Bill Reardon. Oh. Oh, Bill. Yeah, I was never so glad to see anybody in my whole life. Lucky for you I was here. That fellow would have plugged you. Ooh, my legs are shaking. I was really scared. I'm glad you had that much sense. What are you doing here in Mrs. Fraser's apartment? Same thing you are, looking for clues. Sally, you're starting to get silly. Why don't you go home and mend those socks I told you about? There's Might as well do our searching dresser, together. If you find a clue, you tell me, and if I find a clue... I know. I... If you find a clue, you'll tell the newspapers. Well, why don't you answer it? You're crazy. All right, I'll answer hey, it. Come hey, here. let go of my wrist. You nitwit. I think you would have answered it. Well, it might be a clue. Now, we'll never know who was calling. That's right. Now, whoever was calling thinks this apartment is empty. I've got a hunch that's why the call was made. I never thought of that, Bill. Sure. Now, from now on, every time I hear a phone ring, that's the first thing I'll suspect. You talk too much. Oh, this is Mrs. Frazier's dresser, all right. Look. Look, Bill. Her stockings aren't any better than mine. Are you searching or are you sightseeing? <gasps> Look at that perfume. Isn't it lovely? Yeah, it's lovely. Mmm. That's the kind she wears, all right. Wonder what it is. Embarrassment number five. Oh, buy some from me for my birthday, will you, Bill? It's only twenty-five dollars an ounce. Will you stop drenching yourself in that perfume, you little thief. All right. Hey, where are you going? Going back in the living room. Well, I'll stay here. I'm going to take a crack at that wall safe. I'll bet there's a lot of clues in it. Suit yourself. Take a crack at the wall safe. You have Sorry for Marlowe, having, having to work for him. Well, anybody can make a mistake. Not as many mistakes as you make, I promise. <gasps> What's that? I was trying to get in. Not that light quick. Yes, I will. Get back in these curtains. Come on. Come on. Good evening. Oh, why, it's Miss Calhoun. I, I, oh, what's that letter you got in your hand? You just took it out of the drawer, didn't you? That's what you came here for, isn't it? What are you doing here? Now, don't try to change the subject, Mrs. Calhoun. Give me that letter. That's my letter. You can give oh, that that's back. that's mine now. Sally, Sally, come I'll back here. I'll be seeing you. Hey, I'm Sally. I've got to have that letter. I'll, I'll get go... the letter later, Miss Calhoun. Sit down. Why don't you tell me all about it? You wouldn't believe me anyway. Maybe not, but I'll tell you what I believe now, that you wrote Walter Frazier a blackmailing letter. Blackmail? Yes, blackmail, and when he wouldn't be blackmailed, you killed him. No, no, no. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Well, make it the truth, because I'll find out pretty soon, honey. I was desperate. I'd lost $2,000 in roulette. Roulette where? Shane's place, across the river. I gave him a bad check for it. I was going to ask Jerry Marlowe for the money, but I couldn't. Why not? You're engaged to him. Well, I didn't want him to think I was marrying him for his money. So I, 
I wrote Walter and asked him for old times' sake to lend me... And he did? If that was all, why'd you take your life in your hands to steal in here? Because I thought Lola might find the letter. I didn't want Jerry to know. Can't you understand? Are you sure, sure Jerry doesn't know and suspect the worst? You're just trying to trap me and say that Jerry killed him. He didn't. If anybody did, it was Lola. She was jealous. I... Oh, I don't know what I'm saying. Yes, you do. I'm sorry, Miss Calhoun, but I'll have to arrest you. You can't. You have nothing to arrest me for. Have you got a permit to carry this gun in your purse? No. Then I can hold you in the Sullivan Act. Please, Mr. That's better, isn't it, Miss Calhoun, than suspicion of murder? Hello? Cartwright Apartments? Miss Lola Fraser, please. Just tell her operator number seven is calling. (laughs) Oh, hello. 376? I'd like to make an appointment to see you. Well, I've come across a letter that I feel sure will interest you. Nine o'clock is fine. At your apartment? Thank you. 376. I'll be there. Mr. Evans. Yeah, Bill? I had a dictograph put into Mrs. Frazier's apartment early this morning. Mrs. Well, She's I She's talking did. to somebody right now. Now, listen. All right. There it is. Well, why don't you go? Because we mm-hmm. still haven't decided when I get See? to get yeah, a little higher. All right. There we are. The question is, will you pay me then? You know I'll pay oh, you. I'm sure I'll is? get my money. I'm the slightest lady. The police have found out Good. that your husband was writing out checks to Ann Calhoun, and that you knew about yes, it, They might go so far as to suspect you I've got a hunch. And if they ever found out that I knew you and that I left you to marry Maybe. Walter, they might I'll even suspect you. Maybe. What are you sticking around here for? She'll be here any minute. Who will? Uh, that Redden girl. She called up and said she wanted to see me here tonight. Watch your step, Lola. Don't say a thing. I know that voice. Because even if you say hello to her... That dame thinks she has a clue. The wrong clue, but a clue. You better go out like the back way. She might herself. recognize you. Okay. So long, Lola. I wish I could place that voice. Now do I. Wherever he is, certainly knows my wife. And I think I know... Hey, what must be the telephone? Uh, good door, evening, Mrs. Door. Frazier. I oh, have time. there she is. That's yeah, her. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, a letter from Al... Uh, Ann Calhoun to your husband. Al I Calhoun. Found out that I'm ashamed now. I have suspected her. I want to forget all that. Oh, but this is a clue. Why, it's, it's a letter begging your husband for money, but... If it means not finding the murderer, I'd rather not do that than have anything cheap come out about Walter. Oh, you have a right to feel that way, but... Wish well, read it for home. yourself. I don't care to read it, Mrs. Reardon, but I do care to do this. What's oh, that? you've no right to destroy that letter, Mrs. Frazier. Sorry, Mrs. Reardon, but I won't have any slurs on my husband's memory. Don't you want your husband avenged? Yes, I do want Walter avenged. But I don't want his name dragged in the mud. It just means I've got to find another clue, that's all. But don't you worry, Mrs. Frazier, I get one every minute. She gets one every minute. Quiet or I'll fire you. Oh, I knew you'd have one. I felt sure you'd. If I tell you, will you promise never to reveal where you heard it? Why, 376, you can trust me. Well, when I went to that phone over there, just before the shot was fired that night, I heard someone on the line. Did you get there? Yeah. Wrong number? No, no, no. Somebody was talking in this apartment on the extension phone. Someone was talking on the phone. You mean in this apartment? Yes. But there was nobody in here except you, four, and the butler... Oh, the yeah. butler, I knew. Yeah, it was the butler. butler all the time. It wasn't the butler. I know his voice. Well, then who was it? I I don't know. Oh. But I do know who he was talking to, and I do know what he was talking about. He was... Wait a minute. That wire doesn't belong under those drapes, does it? What wire? Oh, oh I oh. know you don't think I'm uh, much of a detective, that's but us. I am, Mrs. Frazier. And that's well, a dictaphone. Somebody's been listening to us. you. The district attorney's office yes, probably. Yes, the district attorney's Look, I'll just office. Look, I'll just rip it out, yes, and then you can tell all this to me alone. There it goes. 
Well, well what do you know about that? Just as we were about to find out who it was that talked on that, yeah. Your wife is either the smartest woman or the biggest fool in America. She could be both. In fact, I think she is both. We know there was a man in your apartment earlier this evening. I suppose it was that dictator. Never mind, we heard him. Who was he? You might as well tell us. It was Shane. Nick Nick Shane, Shane. that's who it was. What was he there for? I, I... He wanted $50,000. What for? I owed it to him. You owed it to him. What for? I I lost the money playing roulette. Quite a sum to lose gambling, isn't it? Did you ever play roulette? Oh, yes, for dimes. We weren't playing for dimes. I see. He promised to give me time to pay, but when when this happened, he, he started pressing me. I didn't give him the money. I didn't have it. Not yet. Shane seems to have done all right in that joint of his. Did you know that Ann Calhoun had lost money there, Mrs. Fraser? Oh, yes, we've been there together a couple of times, and we both lost. And you knew Shane before you married, Fraser? Yes, a long time ago, when I was a showgirl in Chicago. That's right. I thought I'd left all that behind me when I started to marry Walter. Oh, it's all right, Mrs. Fraser. <laughs> You've told us all we want to know. I just... I didn't know. You can go now, Mrs. Fraser, And you won't be disturbed again, I promise. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, that seems to let her out. Whom do you suspect now? How about Shane? He keeps turning up in this oh, case. Shane is a gambler who uses strong-arm methods to collect. They all do, but I don't see Just Shane the as the... same. I'm not overlooking the fact that Frazier took his girl away from him. I wish somebody would do the same for me. You want to see Mrs. Reardon now, Mr. Evans? Yes, I guess we'll have to. We've been grilling her for five hours. A real going over. The works. And we can't get a thing out of her. Good morning. Isn't it a lovely day? Listen, honey, I want you to realize how serious this is. Oh, gosh, Bill, I love you. A man has been murdered. The killer must be found. Now, do you understand that? Well, if you just let me out, I could do... This is a matter for the police. If you work with them... If you work with them, I promise to take another crack at the private detective business. How's that? Well, cross your heart? Well, I hadn't expected to promise as strong as that, but all right, cross my heart. Now then, what did Mrs. Fraser tell you after you ripped out that dictaphone? Well... Lola told me that a few minutes before the shot was fired, she picked up the phone and a man somewhere in her apartment was talking to the district attorney. The DA? Yeah, about gambling. Shane. Of course. I told that fathead boss of yours so at the very beginning, but he wouldn't listen. Uh, Oh, hello, Mr. Evans. Hello. (laughs) Well, Mr. Evans, there you are. Lola Fraser heard your conversation with Shane. She did, huh? And she heard it on the Marlowe telephone. But you checked their phone. No calls came out of there. There's no record of one. I don't know where Shane phoned from or how the wires got crossed, but that call to you was planned in advance as an alibi, and that means that Shane is the murderer. You see? I certainly do. Now, can I go now? Certainly not. You're going back to jail. Oh, I don't want to. Well, we're going to keep you locked up before you get another clue, honey. I like this one, and I don't want it spoiled. Arrest Nick Shane, wanted for murder. Calling all cars. Arrest Nick Shane, wanted for murder. Forty years. Dark complexion. Slight build. Armed and desperate, take no chances. Calling all cars. Calling all cars. I've got to get out of here. I phoned my lawyer. Why doesn't he do something? Sometimes your lawyer can't get here right away, dearie. I've been here in this jail four months waiting for my lawyer. But I've got a job to do. I'll beat them on this case if I have to burn for it. The nerve, putting me in jail so he can solve the case on my clue. What are you in for, dearie? For a murder that I'm going to commit.
this is Bill Reardon. Give me the DA's private wire. Hello? Hello, Mr. Evans. Listen, I busted the Frazier murder wide open. I think I've got the whole case cured. And I'll bet you can't guess where I'm phoning from. No, I can't. I'm in Shane's apartment, and I found a phone extension. That's very interesting. Yeah? You'd better get home. Shane was just found stabbed to death in your apartment. In my apartment? Why? Where's Sally? Where's my wife? The police are holding her. She's in your apartment, too. Tough, Mrs. Reardon. Your cellmate down at the jail tells them you said you'd get someone or other if you had to burn for it. Gee, I was just kidding, officer. There's no way to kid. Who? Say, is all that perfume on you? No, it was on Shane. The place was just reeking with it when I came in. I'll say it was reeking. Where are you going? Gee, I'm awful weak in my knees. All right, so you're awfully weak in your knees. Well, there's some smelling salts in the bathroom. I can go in alone, can't I? Well, I guess so. I... You guess so? Hey there, you can't do that. I'm going to break down the door, lady. I tell you, I'm going to break down the door. All right, lady. I'll teach you to break things Where? What do you know? Hey, lady, come back here. You'll break your neck on that water pipe. Lady! Lady! Hello, Mrs. Frazier. Why did you kill Nick Shane? What? You're crazy. Uh, you don't seem very surprised that he's dead. Well, I'm not, as a matter of fact. Well, aren't you going to ask me in? You aren't surprised. Well, people were afraid of him and hated him. Well, I'm coming in. You feared and hated him, too, didn't you, Mrs. Frazier? Well, yes, I did, but I didn't kill him. Maybe not, but uh, did you ever see this handkerchief before? Where did you get that? I'm sorry, Mrs. Frazier. I found it beside his body. All right. I killed him. I'm not afraid now. Well, there's nothing to be afraid of. Can I use the phone? Yes. Thanks. Oh, don't worry. We'll plead the unwritten law. Say, what is the unwritten law? Darling, are you sure you're all right? Of course, here's a confession. Did you sign this, Mrs. Frazier? I did. Sally, how on earth oh, did you... Oh, she came up to my apartment to see me with no intention of killing anybody. She was uh, minding her own business, but this man, Shane, followed her and made a row just because she told me he was guilty. Then he pulled a knife on her. One word led to another, and there you are. It's all in the confession. Oh, let's go. I'm ready. Ready for what? For the truth? Oh, Bill, darling, I just told you. I know you. you just told me. Now I'll tell oh. you. Walter Frazier wanted a divorce. His lawyer swear to that. Mrs. Frazier wasn't satisfied with the settlement he offered, much less than a widow would receive. Mrs. Frazier, you offered Shane $50,000 to kill your husband. That was a gambling Yes. Game. The books show that you never lost more than $200 at roulette. Shane shot your husband standing on the window ledge outside your library. Shot him in the back while you were talking to him. The others were in the kitchen. Two days ago, Shane started pressing you for the money, threatening you. You began to realize the 50000 had only be the beginning. You killed Nick Shane deliberately with premeditated no, murder. No, 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 he had a knife. He found out somehow that I told him about the phone call. His alibi. I had to kill him. All right, I take, her out, yeah, take her out, Fogarty. Take her out. Come along now. Come along now. What a client. Congratulations. And now, Mrs. Reardon, if you don't mind telling me, how did you ever suspect her? Come on, let's have it, Sally. Well, when I got home, the apartment was still full of her perfume. And then when I accused her and she didn't ask any questions, you know, how he was killed or when, well, I just knew she'd done it. And you got a confession out of her with no more to go on than that? Well, I pretended I'd found her handkerchief beside the body. Where did you find it? In her purse. I resign. From now on, Mr. Evans, I'm her office boy. Here it is, Bill. What is it? The inside story of the Fraser case, or Secrets of a Girl Detective. Who wrote it? Me. I did. What for? 
For $500. We're going to put it on the radio. Give it here. Oh, you're tearing it up. I certainly am. All right. What's $500 to us anyway? $500? No matter who says it, but Sally... Oh, but, Bill, I wasn't going to give them any real inside dope. Sally, I'm crazy about you, but there's one thing that bothers me. If you're ever found murdered, there'll never be anyone to prove that I didn't do it. Orson Welles in the Campbell Playhouse presentation of There's Always a Woman with Marie Wilson. And in a moment, Orson Welles and his guests will be back with us. Meanwhile, I'd like to say this. Our play tonight told the story of a woman who helped her husband to success. Sally Reardon's methods of doing this were not exactly conventional. Still, in the end, things turned out all right. But seriously... Helping a husband to success. Isn't this what every good wife is doing every day? Inspiring and encouraging him, keeping him well and well-fed? Now, I'm sure that you, among the wives listening tonight, realize that the success of the work your husband does can be influenced by the kind of meals you serve him. And in these meals, you realize, too, the importance of good soup. Particularly a soup as hearty and nourishing as Campbell's vegetable soup. As Campbell's make it, it's always a special favorite with men. They like the rich, rugged beef stock, thick with a variety of tender garden vegetables. Have you tried it at your house? If not, won't you get some tomorrow and serve it? If you'll do that and compare its fine flavor and hearty substance with the best vegetable soup ever ladled from a home soup kettle, I do believe Campbell's vegetable soup will make its appearance regularly on your family table. And now I see Orson Welles has returned to his microphone. Mr. Welles. It gives me great pleasure to present our guest of the evening, Miss Mary Wilson. Thank you, Orson Welles. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Mary Wilson, as you all know, ladies and gentlemen, has been making a series of highly successful personal appearances throughout the country. And from this tour of hers, one remarkable phenomenon has emerged. Wherever Mary Wilson has been, reporters and columnists have been fighting with each other to be the first to record those weird confusions of thought and language that are rapidly becoming known as Wilsonisms. Are you yawning, Miss Wilson? Mm-hmm. Why don't you put your hand over your mouth? Yeah, and get bit. That's the kind of thing I mean. Let me assure you, though, that despite these flagrant misrepresentations of her trenchant observations on life and letters, Miss Wilson's sole and single concern remains the eternal art of histrionics. Oh, now you're going too far, Orson Welles. (laughs) I never did care for history. I'm an actress. Indeed you are, Mary Wilson. And a very beautiful and charming one. We hope you'll be with us again soon. And now, as to next Sunday night. Next Sunday night, ladies and gentlemen, is Christmas Eve. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And all went to be taxed, 
everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her first son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord appeared before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Since the days of Caesar Augustus, all people have celebrated by joy the great joy which shall be to all people. For unto us was born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And on this day at least in the calendar of our year, we affirm the glory of our God by the laughter of our children. Every nation according to its character and its taste, by some gift of gaiety has enriched the tradition of this our solemnest festival. And because America is what it is, we are the fortunate heirs of the accumulated customs of almost 2,000 years of keeping Christmas. The best songs that have been sung are sung by us. The best games that have been played we play and the best stories ever told are ours to tell. For storytelling has persisted as a Christmas ritual in spite of the printing press. A ceremony as hilarious and as serious as hanging the stocking, dressing the tree, and kissing under the mistletoe. And because Christmas is first of all for children, Christmas stories are fairy stories first of all. It's mildly surprising that the best of them all, which we're telling again, Putin, for you next week, is for everybody and turns out to be a ghost story. I've endeavored, writes its author on its title page, I have endeavored in this ghostly little story to raise the ghost of an idea which shall not put my readers out of humor with themselves, with each other, with the season, or with me. May it haunt their hours and houses pleasantly, and no one wish to lay it. It is signed, your faithful friend and servant, Charles Dickens. And... Charles Dickens, as everybody but our newest friends will know, is the author of next week's story. And our star, as all our old friends will know too, is that best-loved of American actors and the special favorite of all of us on the Campbell Playhouse, Mr. Lionel Barrymore, who will be keeping an engagement with us on that night that he has kept for a number of years. 
An engagement to play Scrooge in that most human and heartwarming of Christmas stories, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. This will be the fifth Christmas that Campbells have chosen this good old tale as their Christmas present to their friends. So I think that this year, perhaps, more than ever, it becomes clear how direct and how all-important is the message that Charles Dickens gave the world in that little story. Wherever, anywhere in the world, people pause next Sunday night to listen to Lionel Barrymore in A Christmas Carol, there will be people a little kinder, a little happier, a little more at peace with themselves and their neighbors. So until then, until a Christmas carol with Lionel Barrymore, my sponsors, the makers of Campbell Soups, and all of us here in the Campbell Playhouse remain, as always, obediently yours. Makers of Campbell Soups join Orson Welles in inviting you to be with us in the Campbell Playhouse again next Sunday evening when we bring you our fifth annual presentation of Charles Dickens' immortal story, A Christmas Carol, starring Lionel Barrymore in his favorite role as Ebenezer Scrooge. In the meantime, if you have enjoyed tonight's Playhouse presentation, won't you tell your grocer so tomorrow when you order Campbell's vegetable soup? This is Ernest Chappell saying thank you and good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. December 17th, 1939. So we'll talk to you tomorrow with Patricia and maybe John Ray. See you on Yesterday USA. Merry Christmas! Jaws Professional Christmas Shows Folders Christmas Shows Folders Explorer Pane Folder Layout Pane Shelf All Tab 1 Cam All Tab Through Thurka All Tab Christmas All Tab 1 All Tab Through Thurkonquences for All Tab 4 Christmas Shows Folders All Tab 4 Menu Bar All Tab Leaving Menus 1 Cam Desktop Folder View All Tab All Tab All Tab All Tab Windows M Windows M.